Okay, this week's episode is a big one. We got Mac Dog in the booth. Before we get into the podcast, though, we have some big news. First things first, international shipping is back on our online store. So head on over to bombhole.com. We just dropped our fall line. So we got hoodies, new t-shirts, new long sleeves. It's all going to sell out really quick, so be sure to check that out before it's gone. And lastly, if you're interested in writing a review, if you listen to it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, just hop on there, make sure you subscribe to our show, write a review. We would really appreciate that from you guys. It means a lot. And without further ado, we hope you guys enjoy the Mac Dog episode. You are listening to the Bomb Hole. Bomb Hole Podcast. It's going to be very hot. It's going to be very uncomfortable for everybody. <laughs> the Bomb Gonna slide down in big hills. You know what I mean? On a big, nice burgundy snowboard. All right. Let's do this, buds. Welcome to the Bomb Hole, which is presented by Pub Beer. Now, first things first, Stony Buds, how are we doing? So good, my dog. Oh, that one sounded good. And to my left, we have Mike McIntyre, a.k.a. Mac Dog, in the booth. Dogger, how are we doing today? Feeling good. Feeling good. Yeah, thanks for having me. We are happy to have you in the booth. Uh, for our listeners that are unfamiliar with Mac Dog and your body of work, uh, Mac Dog is the most prolific filmmaker in the history of snowboarding. His films have been a huge part of the progression and evolution of snowboarding and action sports as a whole. They've inspired generations from young to old. And uh, he's done a great job with the stewardship of our sport. We're going to talk about so many films from, you know, Hard Hungry and the Homeless, Meltdown Project, True Life, Nixon Jib Fest, Shakedown, you know, follow me around. The list goes on forever. We're going to get into all of it. Um, but first things first, we got to know, how did you first pick up a camera? Well, um, I, that's a funny that you said that because I was just up at Hood hanging out with the Capita team and Jeremy and Peter and Mike Rave came up and he's like, oh, dude, I just want to know what's your inspiration. Like, how did you get into all this stuff? And I'm like, well, it's probably not what you think because there was no films when I started. There were no videos. There was no VHSs and stuff like that. And, and basically my dad had a dark room. And he was an amateur photographer, but very skilled. And he taught me the trade of how to expose, how to shoot, how to, you know, read a light meter, how to mix chemicals, how to print, the whole deal. And so that was my inspiration, basically, and what got me hooked into actual, the whole thing, you know. And then he also had a Super 8 camera as well for, like, home movies, and, you know, we we're playing Pop Warner, me and my brother, and my dad would go out and shoot. And at a certain point, we would have all the kids over, watch the movie, and it was kind of like this really cool vibe. And I was super stoked. And then I like asked him, hey, can I help editing on this stuff? It's like maybe like third grade or something. So we started editing, and then, yeah, my first film I made in sixth grade on that same camera, Battle of Bunker Hill with the – some toy soldiers and ketchup and fireworks and stuff. So, but that was kind of how it started. There was, it's kind of different than what a lot of people get into today where they're looking at actual, like a snowboard film or a skate film or something like that. Cause it just was not existent. So pre skate and snowboard film, what, what was there? Like, uh, I know I've heard you mention that there was surf making films first, right? Well, and, and 
I'm not the expert by any means, but in my impression of it is action sports kind of films began with the surf filmmakers like Bruce Brown and Dana Brown, his son and stuff like that. And uh, it was just a thing where they would go and film and then there was no internet. There's no way to get the word out. There's no medium to put it out on for people to watch it at their house. So the only way you could actually see the film is if you went to a place to watch it, which is typically like a, you know, like a moose club, like Elks Club Lodge or, a, you know, you rent like a recreation center or something like that. You bring your projector, you bring your film that's actually film that you cut with tape splices shot by shot to a place like that. And the only way you could get people and you would show the film and then do like a live narration. You know what I mean? And play music. And that's how I kind of got into doing it too. So you, I would shoot a bunch of film, cut it together and then just go to a place, rent it for like 150 bucks and speak over the thing and kind of mix between some different uh, audio sources for sound, for some music and stuff like that. And that was kind of how it was done. And the way you got people there was called four walling. And that was pretty interesting because you're fighting all the local bands and all the other community events that are happening for telephone pole space with your, your flyer that you bring around, you go to the city that you want to show your film in typical strategy. You go there a couple weeks in, in advance, put your flyer up for your movie on as many uh, poles as you could hit. And you know, it'll get covered up the next day or two by whatever the next band is. that's coming to town or whatever event there was. Cause there was no internet. Like, how are you going to know about it? You're walking around your town. You see this thing go there maybe another week before then three days before, and then the night before you would just plaster the whole town and then hope that people would show up and pay their $5 to come in and watch your thing. So telephone Pauls were the first Instagram. Basically. what you're telling me. <laughs> Basically. And it was like, it was prime real estate. It was yeah. a battle to get that, you know, like. Or get covered, like you're saying. You get covered all the time, like instantly. Yeah. There'd be like some speed metal band coming right behind you. Chink, 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 right over your poster. And you're looking at them going, dude go back and hit your poster up over theirs. And like, <laughs> so it was interesting. Yeah. Analog, yeah. the original analog days. Now, so I'm guessing, but, you, but oh, yes, yeah. I'm sorry. But yeah, just to continue that on, then finally they started having home movies. VHS. VHS That's what I was like going to say. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, I'm guessing by what you're saying is that the, the VHS changed that process. Yeah. Then VHS started becoming a thing and people could do that. And you know, that became a market for sure. That became something really cool. But the vibe wasn't the same. Like if you go to a place like to watch a surf movie, like a good surf movie back in the day, and there's what, a thousand people in the auditorium and everyone is just raging and partying. And, the you know, like the movie comes up on the screen and it's like got all the scratches and everyone's just going AWOL. Like it's super special. And then the guy's like actually speaking over the film and telling stories and stuff. It was really, really cool. When movies like Endless Summer and The Search for Animal Chin hit, were you seeing those at all? Yeah. On VHS, did that inspire anything you did in snowboarding? Or um, I mean, Animal Chin was in the era when I started filming It was the same time. It was actually at the same time that Stacy was doing that. And he was like pretty advanced like in his process he's a really amazing filmmaker obviously you guys should get him in here if you could like, that, that absolutely movie was amazing too. yeah amazing filmmaker and i don't really know him very good but i'm definitely a huge fan and so yeah he was in that same era 
when I was starting my, my whole career doing skate stuff way back in the like mid late eighties. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like, uh, sick boys came out in 1988 and that was the first original Mac dog production. That was the first one. There was a movie, a movie before that called Goons in Paradise, which was great name. Yeah, <laughs> dude, your names. I mean, they're just amazing. Goons in Paradise. Yeah, Goons in Paradise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. While we're on the subject of Mac Dog, right away, I gotta, I gotta ask. We had a guest question from none other than Peter Line. He's got the hard hitting questions. Here we go. Hey, doggers, Peter. I'm just curious. How'd you get your nickname, Dogger? <laughs> he just oh. trails off of that. Well, that's Peter for you right there. <laughs> so, yeah, and pure Peter form. Um, that was a great question, Pete. So, yeah, my nickname came from my surf buddies from high school. We were called the Goon Squad, basically because we all super sucked at surfing. We got It's kind of like how we did everything back then. We had no idea how to do it. We were in Northern California. Go to the flea market. There's a surfboard. Like, we should get that thing. Then there's a wetsuit, but it's like a diving wetsuit that's seven mil thick and that has holes in it. But it, that, we'll get that too. Like, let's go surf. And we had no idea what we're doing. We show up at these spots in Northern California and people were just spray painting our car. Goons go home all the time, you know? So we're like, oh, we're the goon squad, right? So we could fit all the boards in the trunk and all that. But those guys, my high school buddies gave me that name as Mac Dog just because my last name McIntyre. So it kind of stuck. It wasn't anything like I'm trying to be some cool guy or a Mac or anything like that, or some like Snoop Dogg type thing who I've actually met. And I never said my name was Mac Dogg when I was hanging out with him. You I didn't like, tell Snoop Dogg that? No, I, I was pretty much like, you are you can keep the dog thing. It's all good. Like, He's all D-O-double-G. Yeah, D-A-W-G kind of hits different. Kind of hits different. Slightly different. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, I love how they spray painted your car. Goons go home. You're just like sick, man. We're the goon squad. Yeah, yeah you got to just accept that, huh? Well, I had like after throwing a, that around after a few times of getting it on your car. You're just like, well, let's just run it. Yeah, man. we're the goon squad. Yeah. Uh, another thing, thinking about uh, going back to Sick Boys, your original skate video that you made. You know, if you're ever looking for inspiration, like if you're a filmmaker in snowboarding and need to find some, throw that video on, like the intro that you like narrate mac dog productions and like the way it's edited and it's the titles and the font and those old videos are i almost feel like they're coming back into circulation because you can they're they're great inspiration for people making videos now well what you want me to talk about sick boys yeah let's talk about sick boys let's get in there yeah okay so how i got into doing my own films i was you know i'd made this movie goons in paradise and that was a, a surf film with my buddies. It's called Goons in Paradise because no one can surf very good, but the waves are really good. So that was the whole impet- like the whole idea behind the film. And during that time, uh, this guy named Steve Spaulding came to town with his surf movie. He's putting his posters up. And I was just talking to him like, hey, I'll put up some uh, posters for you. I'll hang out. And I got a little local surf film here. It's called Goons in Paradise. And he's like, you should totally show that at my show. Like, it's like a little short. So I showed it. And one of the guys in the audience is a really good filmmaker named John Malvino. He saw it and he was like, hey, um, I really laughed a lot. I thought that was a good film. I'm leaving for like five months on this film trip. You want to be an apprentice? I can't pay you anything, but I'll pay all your expenses. Do you want to go? And you have to get a passport and all this stuff within like five days. And I was like, 
thinking about it. I was in college and I had like five vans. I flipped vans for for extra money and stuff. I'm like, I'm in. So I sold all my vans and got all my stuff done and got on the program with him. And we worked on a skate film for a bunch of years and a, a surf film called Hoi Mahana. It's a, about um, surfing in Tahiti way back in the day before people know what Chopu was or anything. Anyways, that guy, um, he was introduced, introduced me to the whole skate people, you know, and through that I met Bryce Knights, who was, you know, legendary photographer and became a really good friend of mine. At a certain point I parted ways with John um, and started wanting to do my own thing. And Bryce was working at Thrasher, and so he would just hit me up anytime there was a big session. He's like, get over here. This is going to be happening. And so I would just basically tag along with Bryce and shoot all these epic sessions. And he would take photos, and I, he was actually in the movie too. He was a pro skater. And so that's kind of how that happened. And then the whole DIY thing, like I was talking about the early films, like I, I had no money at all. So I lived in my van you know, my fan and went around and filmed this thing and, and basically did whatever I could to get a couple more rolls of super eight and to get the next shots, you know? And, and then Mike King, who was a real good friend of mine from high school, he had become a, you know, working in an ad agency in San Francisco who had this amazing edit suite. So it would be like, okay, we can edit from like whatever, two in the morning till six in the morning, like when everyone leaves for free. So we would go in there and, and he, we would, I would just do the whole thing. Like we just do like, okay, put it all together. Like shot by shot. I would have it written down on paper, like go, 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 go. Okay. Now we got like 45 minutes. So everyone gets here, do the audio pass. They're just deliriously tired, drinking beers and whatever else we were doing. And then just rip a, a narration track. And that's why when you watch that, you're like, what is happening? Like <laughs> <laughs> that was I mean, like straight up. Like that's how that happened. So, and go to to kind of. I have a question about the editing suite because back then you needed to cut two VCRs together, and it was kind of a difficult process. So you had to do that in somebody's suite, basically, right? Yeah, I mean, all of the original films that I did, like the early surf films and skate films, when we showed them, those were all cut on film. So you have your like your little viewer, you're looking at your Super Eight, and you're like, oh, I like that clip, and you grade it out cut it with a razor knife cut the next one glue them together and you have to have it like in your head like what the shots are and like how it's gonna work and like so i would just make notes like okay this shot's gonna go here and then it's like a full paper thing like before you even did it and then you're just cutting the pieces out and putting it and gluing them together basically and so that's how that happened and and um that's how Hollywood films were made, right? That's, that's how all films were made. Yeah, it's and and it's still how it, it it is happens in actual big films if they're shot on film. That's how ah, it, how it works. They still do that. Yeah, I mean it's a pretty interesting process where they get you get a copy called the work print which is a copy of your master immediately. And it has little numbers on it. Like when you start a film, this is kind of deep stuff. Do you guys want to hear about all this stuff? Sure. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I mean it's kind of deep, but you know, like let's say we're going to start this is not me. This is like a Hollywood film. They would get film and it have edge numbers on the bottom, right? And they would order a whole batch. And so they would shoot their whole film. And then when they're, they get the masters and then they get copies, work copies, and it has the same numbers on the bottom. And then the guy who's cutting the film is actually cutting the film. Each time they make a cut, you have to write in this log book from this frame 
on this roll to this frame. And then we're cutting to this roll from this frame to this frame. And they had like these big linen baskets with hooks where you like hang the pieces of film up mm-hmm. and you're like putting all the, and you're like writing all the stuff down and you're hanging up all the stuff and then you assemble it. Once it's all done, then you make sure all those frame numbers and all that stuff matches up and you hand it off to a person who's a negative cutter who would go into the actual master and like this super sanitary area and they're the master film cutter. They would cut that and then they make copies of that. And that's those copies are what made it to the theater. Wow. That's crazy. It's super crazy. Yeah. And it's a lot of work. Yeah. And that, w- and that would still go to VHS. So that they did, you shot it on super eight to VHS at, at that point. At that point. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, then what was the next evolution from filmmaking from V8, from uh, Super 8? I guess in, like, here we go. Like, this is the original Death Lens. We have to talk about this. Yeah. Oh, like, wow. <laughs> so, like, this is, this is legit. I OG got this. Death Lens. I got this thing, and I was like, oh, my gosh. This is, like, the best thing ever. And one of my good friends, Tony Roberts, who made, like, all the Speed Freaks videos back in the days, and he was a, a surf filmmaker, too, from santa cruz we would get together and have shows like me and him we'd like show all of our footage and rent these little elk calls and stuff and he had a little camera where did that me super eight super eight's right here i got you i love all your old cameras yeah this is a the super eight that tony roberts and i used to use all the time it was i got this from steve spaulding the filmmaker that came a long time ago that i was talking to you about anyways it went from that for me I shot all the early films like Sick Boys, Hocus Pocus, all that sort of stuff with this and also some real early video cameras um, and did that all the way through, uh, uh, let's see, New Kids on the Twalk, Pocahontas, Hard the Hungry and the Homeless. And then when Meltdown Project Year came around, that's when we got to the the big boy. And this is... uh, Airy S camera and 16, 16 millimeter. And this was the ones that, um, I actually bought this when my catch hit me up and he's like, we should make standard. Let's make a film company and make a film in 16. So I bought this camera to do that. And we started standard films and same cam. What was that first yeah. movie with standard? It was uh TB two TB two. Cause they had, there was already a totally bored movie before oh, yeah. that. Did you make new kids on the talk before that? Yes, New yes. Kids on the Twop. That was your movie. first snowboard movie, right? Yeah, and that was a collaboration with Fall Line Films with uh, Jerry Dugan and Artie Crable that were doing those films. Like They did like Critical Condition and Riders on the Storm and yep. the Western Front. They were before me in snowboarding, for sure. Who uh, came up with the name New Kids on the Twop? It's a great name. Best name. It might be the best snowboard name yeah. out there, maybe. I don't, I can't remember. Like, that, that's the thing about this. Uh, when I came here to do this, I was like, hmm. I was a little hesitant because there's going to be some stuff that's kind of like foggy. hard to remember. Yeah. I can't remember. I, I sounds like something I would think of yeah. for sure. It could have been a collaboration, though. But you're it, all sitting around. And, but I mean, the whole idea was like the twalk was like a poke, right? Yeah. So that was kind of the joke. Like, New Kids on the Block was like this big thing. And, and it was like the new guys. It was Noah, Chris Roach, Monty Roach, um, John Bayaki, all these kind of guys that I was friends with. And they were doing newer things in snowboarding than kind of the established guys that uh, Artie and Jerry were working with, who was like like Damien and Dave Sioni and 
these type of folks and uh, uh, farmer, yeah, farmer, yeah, all these kind of characters. Um, so these like Noah and Chris and the, the guys I just mentioned, they were more like skate style, and that's why I gravitated towards wanting to work with those guys, and so that's why it was called that, like the new kids, and then they could actually have skate style. Yeah, you know? I gotta thank you because new kids on the talk, Pocahontas, and Hard Hunger and the Homeless. That's what made me choose the path I chose and followed snowboarding. So thank you for that inspiration. Oh, good. I'm <laughs> glad to hear that. I remember being just young in high school and that was everything. Those movies were the, the shit for sure. It was a lot of fun to make them. Yeah, I bet. And yeah. you compare them to those other ones. It was that skateboard vibe that I don't know, really made me pursue it. So thank you. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to bring up a point too, because Peter, I was talking to Peter line for research purposes and he was mentioning um, that some people would, you know, know, talk about the fact that you make snowboard films and be like, oh, like Warren Miller as the only comparison. And he's like, I don't think Dogger likes that very much. That comparison. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Warren Miller, obviously he's done a lot of cool stuff. People love him and respect his work. And I have nothing bad to say about anyone that's doing stuff that's positive and cool. And it's not my style. It never has been, you know, it's pretty mainstream. Um, but yeah, you know, like he's, he and his and his son Kurt, you know, they kept it going. It's still going. Like, who does that? Like, yeah, that's you know what I mean? Cool. I didn't the do it. He keeps going. It's it's rad. That <laughs> there's, there's still Warren Miller movies, and he's not alive anymore. It's right? insane. Yeah. Like, who does that in snowboarding? Who's left? Like, out from the OGs, like Justin Hostick, maybe. Yeah. Everyone else is out, dude. Out. So it's pretty pretty. Uh, can't say anything bad about that. No. And they were just. I remember they would come through Burlington, Vermont, where I lived. They'd be like, "Oh, Warren Miller's coming." And he would come to the premieres back in the day and just that narration style. It was definitely not our style, but you still went and checked it out. And it was something but, cool. But luckily you were there to kind of put something out that the kids were really stoked on, you know? Well, it's funny you say that because, like, in skiing and also the early snowboard stuff that I first saw when I went up to the mountain with Noah got me into it. Like, Noah Slaznik, huge friend of mine, RIP. He, um, he got me into it. He was a skater. He was on H Street, right? And as a skater, he wanted to have a snowboard shot in Hocus Pocus. And that was the first time I got dragged up to see snowboarding and try and film a shot of snowboarding. And I got to this horrible pipe. You know how they were back in the day. It's like a ditch. Yeah. And, you know, there's like the, all the heavies were there. It was like uh, Damien and uh, Dana Nicholson, Sione and... I think Tom Burt was there, even and, and uh, you know Noah and everyone. And, and do you remember what mountain that was? That was that Squaw. Squaws. Yeah. yeah, and I looked around and I'm like, "What am I seeing here? Like these dudes have like straight up like fluorescent stuff. Like they've got all kinds of hair gel. Like their hair's all spiked <laughs> out. Like kind of crazy varnay or Oakley blades. And like all, I was just like appalled, dude. And like like the worst <laughs> style. Like to me. No offense, Damian Sanders. Yeah, Damian's he, hair. <laughs> like, he's an amazing snowboarder, and he has blown me away c countless times. But when I first saw him in that pipe, sorry, Damian, I I was like, it hurt me. You puked like, in your mouth a little bit? Basically. I was bummed. Like, because it was just, like, hard boots. Yeah, hard boot and, and maybe one one. Like, he could boot. poke in those hard boots. There's no doubt Damian yeah. poked. But it was just, like, this creaky noise, and, like, it was just, it just... I was like, oh, God, what is this shit? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I was so bummed on it, and I was so glad to get away from there. And 
took a while after that to kind of get into actually doing a snowboard film. So what made that happen then? Well, just being friends with Noah and Roach and, and the Roach brothers and Aaron Vincent and all those guys, you know, those guys were my friends and I actually started enjoying snowboarding and hanging out with them. And as you can tell, this camera is pretty small to carry around. So get a couple rolls in there and, so I started getting some shots, and that's actually how New Kids got made. I I was not planning on making a snowboard film or getting into snowboard filmmaking at all, but I was just getting some shots of my friends, and then I lived across the street from Artie and Jerry, and they were I can't remember the movie they put out that year, but they put their movie out, and they had all this leftover footage, and they're like, hey, I, we know you got some footage, and we got a bunch of stuff we're not using. Let's just put it all together, and I'm like, why not, you know, so... We just partied on an edit together and slapped that thing together, and that's how it it all started. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Mac Dog snowboarding movies were born. Yep, right there. Yeah, so we're definitely going to get into kind of the evolution of action sports filmmaking. I think it's it's really cool to talk about from – the very first, you know, film from Super 8 and then 16 and then, you know, you have VHS, DVD, red camera, then it's on YouTube, all that. We'll get into all that, the analog versus the digital. But before we do, I think we should just keep breaking down some more of these videos too because, you know, New Kids on the Twalk, Pocahontas, HHH. I will say on our show, you know, Hard Hungry and the Homeless for the generation before mine, um, it just seems like it was it was definitely the the biggest kind of culture shifter out of all of those videos um do you kind of want to dive into the, like that period of maybe even upping the ante and and that little period of making movies sure yeah i mean i would have to say that you know from my from my perspective too like I'm, i just said earlier like it's all about the feeling that you get when you watch the film that's the whole purpose of it right you have to get some something out of it otherwise what's the point of sitting there and looking at something and Hard, the Hungry, and the Homeless, to me, is basically like my favorite film, too. And it just was an interesting time in snowboarding, an interesting time in, and it was just everything was new. You know what I mean? And no one, there was zero money. No one was in it for anything to do with money. Everyone was like 10 people living in an apartment type of thing, sleeping under, like I said, sleeping under a a kitchen table and it was fine, dude. Like as long as you could snowboard and hang with your bros and, and you know, it was just, that was a really interesting that came across, you know what I mean? Like it was so much love. Everyone had so much stoke for it. And, and that's why it has that feeling, you know, like it's different. Like now, like Dale and Rowan and Nate and Jake and all those guys, I think, and there was probably like 10 of those guys living in one little, apartment you know in in breckenridge and you go in there and there's like garbage and plates piled like (laughs) 20 feet high in the corner and you're just like everyone's totally happy dude like that was what it was you know so it it was just that's i think that's why it was such a special time because there was just so much love for everyone was just so happy to be doing it and and everything was open everything was wide open like anything you did was basically new yeah, everything was an MBD, huh? That's uh, how easy is that? And you didn't have to go big. Yeah, you just had to jib a stomp. Basically, you didn't even have to land very good. Like, I mean, it was pretty good Good times. There. Good times, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, it was mostly filmed on a resort, right? That movie, there yeah. was a lot shot at, at Breckenridge. At Breckenridge, yeah. yeah. I'd just drive my car up there. 
after it closed, we could, you know, the Subaru is pretty good. We call it the mountain Ferrari. It could go up the, you know, if you get up early enough before it got soft, you could get pretty far up the mountain. And so we just drive the car up there and set up and film. And well, you were driving the car up the cat tracks. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Right up the resort. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody cared. No, there's shots of it in the movie. Well, there like, is, you're right. Yeah. They're sessioning on the hill. You yeah, know? yeah. And, but we'd always drive it up there and session on it. Or I figured that that was just some misty little road you put the car on. I did not realize that was like inbounds. No, there. yeah. We would just drive the thing up there. And then you have to wait till it hardened up and later in the day and then drive back down. And then down. drive it back down. <laughs> pro tip. <laughs> yeah, pro tip. Pro tip. Yeah, well, why hike when you can drive the Subi up? So we happen to have a guest question from none other than JP Walker. Here oh, we go. boy. What up, Mike? It's JP. I got a question about Rowan Rogers. And I think you've told me the answer to this question before, but I might have just made it up, so I need verification. But that rail, the kink rail that he tried in Tine in France, it's at the end of Up in the Annie. I saw that photo in a magazine, and... I never recovered from it. And I heard that he took you there and wanted to try that. And you were so tripped out by how gnarly it was and just all the factors and the consequences that you told him you weren't going to film it. And he said, that's fine. I'm doing it anyway. So did that really happen or did I make that up? Because that photo of that rail and that idea that Rowan was going to do that, whether you filmed it or not, really shaped a major part of my career. So let me know. Dang. Well, the true story is that is true. Rowan Rogers, and when that wasn't the first time um, that I was like, I don't want to film that. Like, it's too gnarly. And he's like, I'll do it by myself. And at that point, you're like, well, he's going to do it anyway. It's like, I guess we'll film it. But that rail in particular, JP, yes, that it was the case. That was just a horrifying thing. There was like all kinds of like sharp pipes and shit all underneath it. It was so sketchy. Like we're I, me and uh, Jason Ford and I think Dale was there too. We were just sort of dragging anything we could to cover up all this like like metal shard land that he was going to land in if he came off outside you know what i mean and he did come off outside luckily mm -hmm. we put all that stuff in there but yeah the whole setup it was just so janky there's no in run yeah there's no drop in right? there's no drop in like yeah. a leaned in bench right? yeah. yeah it was just horrifying the whole thing that was like the first real rail too that was it? the first super gnarly thing that, yeah that you know that i mean it's a bail but it's like okay things have changed now you yeah. know what i mean and it happened. He and, tried it. And that wasn't the first. Like, Rowan Rogers, like, if you ask me, like, I'm not going to sit here today and say who's my favorite snowboarder and yeah. who's that sort of thing because there's a million of people that I worked with that are just so good and I respect so much. It's can't even go down that road. But Rowan, definitely, he's one of the best snowboarders who ever lived, in my opinion. And what he did for snowboarding, it's just so underappreciated. Um from that, like, like we would go to rails and he would go to rails and just be like, you know, we're go out and do something at night and you come back and here's Rowan, like trying to do something where it's like, you're going to die if you don't do it. And he's out there by himself, just happy as can be just sessioning something. You're like, what the, 
And, you know, that happened all the time, you know? And then, you know, like just that level of mentality and then his jumping too was just insane, dude. Like he was just so far ahead of everything. He just didn't like to be in front of the camera. He didn't want to be like some big superstar guy. But yeah, when you watch him ride and you watch his edge control, that's what I first look at when I look at any rider. Like, can they actually ride? Like, what are they doing with their edges? And when I saw Rowan, and it's kind of like Terry or something like that, you're like, this guy's a magician. You know what I mean? He was so influential and stood out so hard in the, or so much in those videos. He was the best. Yeah. I have a Patreon question for you kind of along these lines. Um, and this is from Nicholas Bellinger. Of all the initial times you encountered a new rider, who had the strongest initial talent factor? That's that's a tough one. There there's been a lot, you know, like um I mean, that's a really hard question. And it's not to say who's your favorite, it's like who just when you first saw him was just like, "Oh man." Yeah. Cuz I know mine was like Mark Frank, seeing that dude, I was just like, "Wow." Yeah. This dude's got raw talent. I mean, I was really impressed with a lot of people. I mean, Noah Slaznik, of course. Like, that's how I even got into it. Like, if I didn't if I didn't meet Noah and I wasn't impressed with his writing, I, there wouldn't be any of these films at all. I would have stuck in skateboarding. I would have probably tried to do, like, conventional, like, Hollywood movie style, move to L.A. and do that, you know? But, yeah, like, Noah was shocking, like, back then. His, he, had, he had skate style, and he just looked good, like, to me. And no one else is like that back then. Well, Roach. Yeah, Roach, Roach too. Yeah. Those two guys, I mean, that whole crew. I'm not going to say they're the only guys. There was a little crew of people in different areas. But where I was and who I hung out with, it was the Roach brothers, Aaron Vincent, Noah. But, I mean, Noah was my guy, obviously, right? So I would have to say I would have to say him. When the first time I saw Terry ride, I'm like, what is happening, right? Yeah, how is this possible? We're just looking at his edge control. It's yeah. like Rowan, you know, you're like Sean White. Like, it's just people that just have the gift, you it's know? It's different people in different generations, I bet. Yeah. Like, right now, it's kind of Zeb. You see yeah, Zeb, and totally. it's like, how is this possible? Yeah, when I yeah. saw Zeb ride, like, at uh, Heavy Metal and also at Peace Park this yeah. year, I was like, shocked. Yeah, there it, there is, it is, you know? It's totally shocking. Yeah. It's just a whole different level of... of board control you know and so those are the kind of people that impress me the most there's been yeah. a bunch of them and other people for different reasons like jamie and and peter and it goes on and on and yeah. gooch you know like it's there's just countless people that are been in the films that are just so good yeah certain people just have that special thing yeah for sure that you can't bottle or buy it's just they just have it it's a i think to me it's a, just a full board control like yeah once you have that if you have that then Anything's at your fingertips, right? Yeah, anything's possible. Yeah. It's definitely wild to kind of think because back then when you guys were making videos, you're, the people that you're choosing to be in the videos, if they're in there, they're kind of they're kind of the guy. Yeah, they're right? the shit. So, so you're, you're all essentially kind of talent scouting of who to put in these videos. How did it work for picking people that you filmed? Well, in the beginning, it was just like, who was snowboarding, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it was like... I, like I said, I met Noah and Roach and those guys and all the Tahoe crew. And then beyond that, it was just, you know, going on a trip. And then we went to Colorado and then, hey, here's all these Joyride kids, you know. It's like it was, it was Rowan and all his bros, you know, Dale and all them. And it's just like, oh, these guys are sick, you know, and then go somewhere else. And 
go to Big Bear and well, who's that kid ripping? Oh, that's Gooch. Oh, cool. Let's bring him along. You know what I mean? So it was just, just you know, there's no internet. There's nothing like to really find these guys. It's just go around and see who's ripping at each place and try and rope them in, you know? Did you did you realize the impact that these videos were having on people when they came out? Did you could you um feel that right away? No. Definitely not. Like and it's kind of funny like I like to do I like to make films. I'm a filmmaker. I'm a total film nerd. Like I get behind the the whole process of doing it and capturing it and making it and making the best feeling, but after that like I mean, I'm on to the next thing. I rarely, I won't watch my films even really or anyone else's. I'm just don't want to be influenced and just like, I just want to do cool stuff and keep it fresh and not overanalyze. You know what I mean? So, yeah. So I never really looked at it that way at all. Now, we, we were talking yesterday and I thought this is kind of a cool point you're making, but um, you know, I was talking about the, the way people make videos nowadays. You, a lot of companies will set out like, well, let's just make a video. Like, let's just, we'll just throw a video together, you know, and whether it's, they go on one or two trips, but it's just like, oh, let's just make something and put it out. And back then it seemed like it was much more like, no, we're making like a video and it's going to be like, it's going to be the best video. It was that your guys' mentality going into it? In the beginning, definitely not. Like the beginning was just, like I said, it was a free for all. Yeah. It was super fun. And it was just like I said, anything was open. You do something, basically almost anything, and it was the never before. You know, like it was sick. Like, oh, look, dude, I've never got that shot before. And so it was pretty exciting. And things progressed, and things got a little more serious, and it became more of a business. And I was hiring people like Ross, Steffi, and Kurt Heine, some of my early guys. Um, you know, like then it became more of a thing where we're like, we're – you know, we're involved with like the livelihood of people now. Like we let's make some dope shit, you know? So that's when it got a lot more serious when, you know, there's a lot of people at play there and it, and it grew, you know, it grew at a certain point. I think we had like eight or 10 people getting paid full time and only working six months. Cause it was, it just worked out with like, we were making money. These guys put their heart and soul into the six months or whatever that they filmed now come down and surf and hang out. Let's just rent a house or something. Like, you guys get paid. Like, let's have a good time, you know? So, and then, you know, then it was, everyone was pretty serious because they want to maintain that lifestyle. What what made it become from you living under tables and uh, doing what you're doing for free to actually becoming a paid job? Like, when did you realize it was going to be a career? At what movie, I guess? I mean, it started to become a little bit more... I guess sponsorship money would start to come into it a little bit. And then like video sales started coming up a little bit and I was able to start to afford to have people help and help and like distributors started coming into it. Like it just became a business, you know, like people start, it, it was a natural thing that was, I don't know, maybe like, um, in hard, the hungry and homeless, like we were out in Colorado and like one of my first sponsors, not the first, but one of the first, there's a cool story is, I was out there with Noah and the car broke down, like my Subaru. Like, so not surprising. I bought it for 500 bucks. Right. So anyways, I'm transmissions out. How are we going to get home? What are we doing? We have no money. We can't eat, you know, like type of thing. And so he was riding for a billabong. I, you know, helped kind of facilitate that. Cause I knew someone that worked there and he's like, you should just ask 
you know, Bob Hurley, he owned Billabong then. He's like, just see if he'll help us out. I'm like, call him up, cold call him. And he's just like, how much does it cost to get the car fixed? I don't know, it's like two grand or something. It's like, if we had 2,500, we could eat and stuff. And see FedEx a check and there's the Billabong logo on the box. And I'm like, whoa, this actually maybe could work. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of. Started putting it together. Yeah, started coming it together a little bit there. And you were the only person I've ever heard of that actually you started collecting so much money, extra money, you actually sent some to riders, right? Yeah, at a certain point, like, there was a heyday. Like, there was a special time in snowboarding when there was a lot of movies we were selling, and we were doing good, you know? Like, there's no doubt about it. And so instead of just hoarding all that, everyone worked hard. They put their time in. They risked their body yeah, their lives these riders right yeah and it's it's serious stuff so yeah like okay let's chop up the pie dude like everyone gets a cut and, and so we were able to do that and you know that was really special to be able to do that and i don't know if anyone else did i heard thing. stories about that i've never heard of anyone else mm-hmm. actually doing that and yeah. the riders like didn't even know it was coming you know they would just all of a sudden get a check and be like whoa holy shit yeah we'll, why, we'll why go back but quick question i gotta ask in the heyday like how many units are we talking? How many yeah, how many VHSs are sold? <laughs> I think maybe at the highest end, maybe sixty thousand, something like that. Was that True Life or what are we talking? Yeah, in that era, the Resistance. In that whole era, there was quite a few videos, and, and then there were some years where we put out multiple videos. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there was some some. So money you're moving getting, unis. You're moving yeah, and there unis. was distributors overseas yeah. that would just hey, let me get ten thousand, let me get fifteen thousand. It and, was good. It was good. And, for sure. There was a, did you catch any bootleggers out there? Well, I mean, that's a whole different topic. If you want to <laughs> get into, like, why snowboarding films kind of died off, that's where that whole thing kicks off. We should off. get there let's, maybe later. Yeah, let's get there later. We should make a, a, a note to get there, but that's a great topic. Let's let's stay on the formative year stuff, too, because I guess it's you're kind of established at this point, but I, I like the fact that thinking about you making a video, you know, there there's um, – it's it's came up in the fact that JP mentioned on his episode about at a certain point in time you kind of became cutthroat with people's footage, where you know everybody they film all year you get married to your clips you want everything in, and um, you know your perspective you mentioned about it's not just about uh, filming like your part it's about the movie but also more so it's about snowboarding looking good mm-hmm. that really that really resonated with me when we were talking do you want to elaborate on that. Yeah, I mean, after we started getting a little bit more serious, like I said, um, and we had the tons of footage, you know, like there's a lot of shots, and we just started making the decision that if it's not like super banger, what's the point, right? And so, and that's what really started setting the films apart. I think, I mean, the name Stomping Grounds, that was kind of like we made that movie name for that purpose, like stomp or it's out you know what i mean like that's the whole point of it and there was a ski movie actually that came out this year called the stomping grounds and matchstick productions put it out (laughs) and i hit those guys up i'm like oh nice name and they're like don't say anything bad about it like we got this like you shouldn't look at that old thing i'm like it was part of snowboard's history dude like i just think it makes you guys look bad but but, (laughs) that that was this year this year dude um Talk about there's one thing like using a song again, but a movie name. And they're like, we don't know, dude. I'm like, so at that point, like they, it's like another thing, like Warren Miller, they've been in it for a long time. They claim they didn't know about it, that they just thought it was a cool name. So whatever, you know, but 
I had to at least give him a little nudge. Yeah, give nudge. Him a little jab. Um, anyways, um, but yeah, so that's kind of where that came from. Like we really decided to do that, you know, and, and so it was a lot more pressure on the riders and, you know, like a JP or a Peter or Jeremy and whoever it was like, no one was safe, dude. Like hand drag, a little bit of this, a little bit of them that didn't quite get the rotation. It's done. Sorry. And that really made a big difference because when you watch the film, you're like, you just get stoked because it's a level of excellence in the riding, you know, that a, a lot of other people didn't have as much of a of an axe, basically. And, and it puts you on that top tier. Well, I think it just yeah. makes it more fun to watch. Yeah. You're not watching filler, you know, filler is lame, like, we always had a, an idea, but we want to keep it. So you watch this film, you get this sick feeling from it, but it's short. So you can watch when you're eating your breakfast and then you go to the hill and you, you're amping. That was the idea. We don't want to make some long 45 to an hour long movie where, you know, by the time you're done eating and then you're like, oh, is it still going or whatever? You know what I mean? So we wanted to keep it kind of more bite-sized. So to make it that length and then – there's no time for anything else at that point. And it, it did. It worked. It worked really good. So you actually pre-conceptualized, we're going to make this this short so people get hyped. That's awesome. Yeah, that was the idea. Because we were. We were getting hyped before we went riding, and that's exactly it. That was the point. There's yeah. there's also a misconception, too, that you're w when doing that, that you're kind of a dick. And in talking to uh, Catherine, your, your wife, she was saying, like, it was your way to bring the best out in people. Well, I mean, you can look at anything anyway, right? I think back then, um, I'm not going to, I mean, I think things have changed. There's like generations of people and like, you know, you got the people that came from the depression area or whatever, and they're like tough as nails. Like what, it doesn't matter what they dealt with. They're going to survive and they're tough. And no matter what you say to them, you're not going to hurt their feelings. And you know what I mean? So you can relate to people on that level and then, you know, towards the end of my career, there's people that were a lot more sensitive, let's just say like writers and you call them out for like, that wasn't that good. And they basically like, like want to cry or something. You're like, dude, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings at all. I'm just telling you what's been done. And if that's good enough, if that is the standard, like it's not, I'm not attacking you personally at all. I'm just talking about snowboarding, you know? So some people didn't like that. Of course, People don't like to be called out, but you know, that's another quality control that makes the films good. Like if, if you just are satisfied with everything, then it's, it's going to be like every, everything else. And what's the point of that? And to get a little bit further on that point, like when we're shooting, like before digital, like when you're shooting on these film cameras and stuff, no one could see that film. Like the only person that saw the shot was the guy that was shooting it. That's it. So you're looking through the little viewfinder at the dude do the trick. And if it looks funky to you and you don't call it out right then, and then whatever, two months or three months down the line, when the film gets processed and transferred and everyone looks at it and they thought they had a clip, then they don't. But you actually knew at that time and you didn't call them out, then whose fault is that? Really? Yeah, it's your fault that they didn't get the shot. Right? So... So I was always having to be that guy and say all the guys on my crew too, because they knew what the standard was. So we did have kind of a, a harsh rep as far as that goes. But I mean, 
that's it was just because we're trying to make a good film. You're trying to make the best movie in yeah. snowboarding and, and get the best to do it and get the best out of the rider. You yeah. know, like if if you know someone could do something better and you know it's not good or it's good but it's not like super perfect. Yeah, they just, needed to learn to not take it personal and. Yeah. You're just trying to make. I a like cool that movie. analogy, but the generations have gotten softer. That's and for they sure. still they get softer they keep, every it generation. It keeps going every. But uh, going back to what you said, I've seen so many instances where video projects the editor says, "Hey, you can edit your own part," and I'm probably guilty of doing this myself. Or you can, you know, and somebody gets married to all their clips, and they say they want every clip they filmed in their video. And writers, if you don't do that the writer will cannibalize their video part, saying, I want this clip in, I want that, I want that. And it's like, well, that's that's why they invented the skip button, is because you wanted all your fucking clips in their part, and now it's a skipper. Yeah. yeah. So that's, you know, you, you ended up saving people from themselves by doing that. Yeah, I don't, and I had a lot of help with that, by the way. Do you want to yeah. reference the doll while we're at it? Well, I mean, the doll here, this is a gift from JP. I think he was on here talking about stuff. Um, so to have the critical eye like at a certain point like guys like the top dudes they knew what the program was and they're they're the writers they know more technically like if something's a little bit off right than i would at that point so at that you know later on into the career i would bring those guys into the edit suite and like guys would come in and edit their whole part the whole movie would be pretty much done and then Okay, let's book some tickets for JP and Peter or whoever the <laughs> axemen were, and they would come in and sit with me and be like, cut, 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 cut. And we would just chop the movie down and have to rearrange the music and everything. But that's how it got. That's how it maintained, you know? And and actually, JP gave me this doll. Um, he came around one, one year. He was moved on to other stuff, and he was coming around to see some footage I was editing, and he's like, dude... I'll be back. And he went to, I don't know where he got this Toys R Us or something. And he got it and he put it on my desk facing me like this. And it's like, there needs to be a bloodbath, dude. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I can just imagine him saying that. And so like, basically it looks like JP, right? Yeah, it does, so, right? <laughs> so it's like every, and I still use this on all my edits. Like when I get near the end, I'm like, all right, bring him out. And I turn him around so he's right in front of the monitor, <laughs> staring right at me with his arms up, ready to chop. And I'm like, all right, we got to get gnarly. And so, Let's do this. <laughs> so anyways, thanks, JP, for keeping it real. And the best part about this, if you take his hat off, that looks like me, see? <laughs> the bald head. <laughs> so it's kind of like both of us, but <laughs> he's so helped awesome. me a lot, yeah. And for the listeners, he's holding a doll that's covered in blood with like a big old knife. And, and a, he kind of has and a hook features and a hook. like JP. Yeah. He and does have a, he's got the chin. He does have the JP chin. chin. That's a thing. Like, if you look we at this. Get some dude. cornrows in that hair. <laughs> this thing's tight. Yeah. That is dude, it's awesome. funny you talk about generations getting softer. I was listening to this podcast, and it talks about how the further we get away from the, greater, the Great Depression and people getting drafted to war, is the softer and softer and softer. And until something like that happens again, it'll uh, just keep continuing, you know? And I guess we're seeing that. It's hard to say. Yeah. I think there's a new generation now. I don't really believe that anymore. For a little while towards the end of my career, I was feeling that. But then going around recently, I've been, you know, I still dip my toes in quite a bit. We did all those uh, real snow shows with SPT and Gunny and, and with Sarah and stuff. And uh, I mean, those guys had to be cutting. And, and, you know, all that sort of stuff, I got to go and 
be a part of it, dip my foot in, see what they were doing. It's like a 90-second clip, and and people were getting gnarly again, and people were being really solid, you know, and going to the peace parks and stuff like that. And, you know, it just there there's been a change again and being like heavy metal this year and watching the kids ride i was like okay we're we're re-upped yeah we're i think that. so i think yeah. it's re-up i think the kids are gnarly again and they are burly so i'm i'm really happy to see that yeah the progression is insane all right we're going to take a quick break and talk to you guys about woodward park city the thing i love about that place is it's 15 minutes from salt lake right after we get done recording an episode in the winter you can cruise up it feels like you're going to a skate park, you know, as opposed to going up to a mountain for some big resort, big mission that takes all day. Uh, they got lights. You can right now you can go mountain biking. They're open from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. every single night. Uh, they got airbags up there if you want to learn how to backflip. You want to land on your head on a bicycle. Uh, go ahead, homies are learning them. Jeremy Jones did a backflip up there. <laughs> Chad, let's give him an air horn for that. Big air horn. Uh, what else they got going on? It's one of Salt Lake's only indoor skate parks. Whether it's hot as hell or raining, you can go skate indoors. The monthly memberships offer unlimited access to indoor and outdoor spaces for one low price each month. There's also daily access available through two-hour sessions, all-day lift tickets, or a variety of lessons, clinics, and camps in seven different sports like skate, BMX, mountain bike, cheer, Parkour, and you know I'm good at the parkour. I'm kind of nice. Yeah, you're actually a parkour freak, is what people <laughs> Scooters, are saying. Scooters, try them all with a multi-sport lesson. I mean, you can pretty much do anything up there, and it's pretty cool. Absolutely, and the thing I like about it is the the passes cheap. You can do day passes, or you can do the month. The monthly pass is a great deal. So uh, cheaper than freaking a couple of lift tickets for most places. But anyway, check out Woodward Park City if you're in the area. All right, we're going to take a quick break and talk to you guys about Bub's Naturals. Now, what is Bub's Naturals? So they're a company that makes all kinds of products, but the one that I like the best is their collagen protein powder. Now, I like to take this, mix it in a smoothie. I take two scoops, throw it in a smoothie with some blueberries, banana, almond butter, some chia seeds, uh, some, some uh, oat milk. Mix it all up. You got yourself a great smoothie. And the thing that's great about it, with two scoops of collagen in there, you get 20 grams of protein. And as you get older, your body kind of loses its ability to synthesize this protein. So you got to get it in the system if you want to keep snowboarding when you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. If you want to be 110 and still be able to make twist, or just turn down the hill for that matter, you got to take care of your body. So that's what's cool about Bub's. Uh, it's a company that comes from the world of snowboarding. So, you know, snowboarders for snowboarders here and you're supporting a great brand. 10% of all of their profits go to charity. So if you want to take care of your body, head on over to bubsnaturals.com. Use promo code bombhole for 20% off. Again, bubsnaturals.com, promo code bombhole for 20% off. I usually go through about two of these jugs a month. If you're getting a lot down the gullet. So, again, bubsnaturals.com, promo code BOMBHOLE. All right, Dogger, we're going to go a little out of order here, but I got to I gotta ask you about something. I heard a little rumor that Forum is maybe coming back. What's going on with that? That is true. And we are doing this again, and it's really exciting. And, um, you know, I've been having my foot kind of in the 
in dabbling in snowboarding the last 10 years, but not fully in the binding, so to speak. And uh, bring bringing form back with uh, Jeremy Jones here, one of my really, really good friends and amazing snowboarder you guys all know. And he's one of the owners with me and Peter Line. And we were all brought this opportunity by a guy named Joshua Schoonover who acquired the brand after Burton let the trademark lapse. And he, he brought us in, and it, it's pretty special. And you were one of the original owners for the, when Forum was first formed. Yeah, Forum was uh, formed, I think, 95 or 96. Peter was kind of the hot guy back then. And he was riding for Division 23, and Greg DeLeo was his team manager running kind of the whole thing down there. And they came to me, and they're like, hey, we want, we're thinking about maybe starting a snowboard brand. Do you want to help us out with this? And it's like, I guess so. It seems like a good plan. And so, yeah, we started Forum. We got in there with um, – also with Raul Reese and Marcus Bohe, these guys who had, uh, it was called Four Star Distribution, and they also had Special Blend, and then Peter was already at that point doing Foursquare with those guys. He was an owner in that, and that's kind of how it all started. I worked with those guys for maybe five or six years, I think, kind of parted on not such good terms, but we did some cool stuff. We made some cool movies, and Jeremy and JP were definitely a part of it, and, and uh, Peter and... We had the the dream team. Like it was, it was a crazy time in snowboarding. I mean, Jeremy, you can talk about that time for you. Like, how was that? Like with the that team and that whole situation was next level, huh? Yeah, I mean that was that was next level. So we, I mean, Hollywood stuff, right? Or not even that rock star stuff. Like, I mean, that was as famous as I've ever been. That's for sure. For Crying me. people and people on their knees and I don't know. It was wild, strange. It was epic actually. Yeah. Boy band for sure. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so both Jeremy and I kind of got out of there on probably not the best of terms. And then it, it kind of fizzled. I don't know exactly what happened. I was already out of there. Um, moving on to other stuff. We just continued on. Um, and then Burton picked it up. I don't know how that went down the whole thing. I heard that Jake didn't want it to be picked up by a ski company or by like an overstock. That was a big deal. Like these people buying brands and just throwing them into, you know, whatever kind of overstock type stores and kind of blowing it out. So he kind of wanted to protect the legacy and bought it and ran it for a bunch of years and decided he just wanted to focus on Burton said he was, you know, kind of done with it. Um, and at that point, this is an interesting story. Both JP and this Joshua Schoonover, who's a trademark attorney, they made note of the time. There's a three-year period after when you stop making product that if you don't make product, that trademark is open for someone else to apply for. And so they were both, like, had that on their calendar. JP hired some attorneys, and he was, he was, he called me about it, you know. He called you about it, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and then... He he wasn't in time. Like Joshua beat him to the punch, and so JP was like calling up Joshua and he's like, "What's up with this dude?" Like he found out this guy from Carlsbad actually got the mark, and so they were talking. And this was before Roberta got hurt, and he was you know, like calling us up and like, "Yeah, do you guys want to maybe do this again?" Like it was kind of already kind of in the works, right? And then after Roberta got hurt, he didn't really have the capacity to 
to do anything else but to care for her. So he kind of exited stage left. And when I think Joshua said he was in court with Burton for four years in like crazy uh, litigation to to main to get the mark because Burton wanted to maintain it at that point. They realized that they messed up. And he won the mark, and he called JP, and JP was still too busy with all the stuff with Roberta. And, and JP mentioned, hey, call up Mike and see if you can get some of the other guys in there because we had all been kind of kicking it around for a while. I know JP and Jeremy actually were trying to get it from Jake before the mark expired, you know. Like there was all this stuff like give it to Peter. Like it's like everyone was pretty upset that form went away the second time, the zombie brand. But um, <laughs> But it, you know. For whatever reason, uh, good luck or whatever you want to call it, um, Josh called me up and said he wanted to get original people in there. He wanted to give us have have us have uh, creative control over it and let us basically run it the way we wanted to run it. And I said, "There's no way I can do it by myself." And so, first call Jeremy, Peter, and like dudes, these are the people that I totally trust, and then different levels we all bring something way different to the equation that's a strength and we mold it over and you could talk about that a little bit jeremy like we were kind of off and on about it and yeah i mean it was a hard hard sell you know especially you know i won't speak for dogger entirely but we've we've shared these conversations and our exits he mentioned it earlier from forum weren't weren't the same as like peter's and jp's you know jp's left a little earlier he goes over that on his on his bomb hole, and then, you know, Peter was there from day one to day done, right? So, he bookended the whole forum forum run, and me and Dog were out like after the first kind of era of forum, and and it went bad. Like it wasn't, it really wasn't that rad, you know. It was our our choice to leave, but it was because of a series of just i don't know wax scenario basically and so we had that in our mind and usually you know everything following wax scenario in our careers had to do with some sort of like attorney or a contract or some like promise of ownership that you just never get and like we're gonna sell for 350 billion dollars in like two years and so if you work for us for free, we're going to cut you in on that for 5%. And so we were like, all right, let's 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 just combat this pitch that we know is coming to us. And so we just, we did. We we kind of strung him through. You know, we tested Josh hard. Like we, we dragged it, I mean, I don't know, four months longer than it needed to be, you know, and for sure than he wanted. And so he went, went he like... He took that walk with us, you know, and he responded and and he passed essentially our you know, our tests and, and vibe we were, check. Vibe yeah. check if you will. Yeah, full vibe check and just you know, and then and then also testing him against like, you know, what, what he's offered us. He you know, this creative control and, and then to present him ideas different than what he planned and then he just listens and gives it to us. All right. So like he's 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 doing what he says. So for us right now, this is a great relationship. We feel I mean, I feel 
I mean, a lot of things. It feels heavy. It feels like a big responsibility. I feel like there's a lot to show and pay respect to um, the way we move about this. And so we have a lot of conversations about that. That That is on the table in just every single week in some form or, or another. Like, you know, what, what will JP think of this? You know, is he going to be down with this move of what he built? You know, Pete, what do you think of this? You were there from day one to day done dog what do you think do you care you know it's like there's certain people that just contributed in a certain way that we just we have to move forward whether they're here or not we have to move forward in respect to that at least that's the way I feel and there's there's some weight there you know to like nail it we need we want to nail it we need to nail it we really really want to nail it we think we can um we feel like the right people are behind it and including Josh being one of those and really just feel kind of grateful that he, you know, he, I promise he can make more money with this thing without us. We are not, we, we, we changed that, that plan. <laughs> but it's got a heartbeat. It was just, that's what it needs. It's it needs got a heartbeat. It needs a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah. We are putting blood in it and, and it's pumping and it's warm and that's real. Yeah. So boards, so are people going to be able to buy boards? What's going on? Can we talk about that? Yeah, but Jeremy knows more about that stuff than I. He's kind of the expert in that opinion. Yeah, um, boards will be be hitting um, this, for this season. Uh, you'll buy them off the website. There'll be a handful of shops uh, that will hopefully, you know, pick up a few and have a small run, but mostly it'll be on the site, direct sales, um, and, you know, we're looking to just build slow. We want to build slow, product right away this season. So look for that. Website will hit, you know, in the next few months here. Probably, I'm not sure when this drops, but, you know, September-ish. You're looking at stuff. We have some hard dates, but, you know, how those go. So I won't call Who's them doing the gra- Is Peter doing the graphics? Yeah, Peter is doing the graphics. Sick. And so be stoked to have him kind of talk about that at one point. And he's having a lot of fun doing it, you know, just bring, being back in snow and, and just kind of having, you know, a little mystery the way we've been kind of presenting it so far. And, and so it's been fun and we feel like we're, we're doing it the way forum needs to be done, you know, and it won't, it won't be what it was. It's not intended to be, but forum is intended to be in snowboarding. I mm-hmm. think I, I feel like it's, there really was a piece missing without knowing it. And, and you can feel it when it's back and knowing that it's back I've been feeling that for a minute and so I'm excited to like see if everyone else gets a piece of that too but yeah look for gear this year and and a team to follow um it's all coming down it's just gonna be slow and with intent and you know with intent to be here for you know ever yeah, that that was an issue in the past was we created this hype team. You know, we had the videos were so hitting. The people that worked at Four Star were so good at marketing. And we created this monster of people that wanted this product. And we, at a certain point, like Peter and I were on a shoot in the old days. This is one of the reasons why I got out. It was like, oh, we need to make this many boards. This is how many orders we have. There's no way we can afford to make these boards, but we have these orders. So they're like, 
Peter, Dogger, come into the office. We got to, you know, and we go in there and they're like, you guys need to come up with a million dollars each by like two weeks. Otherwise, we're bringing in other investors and you're losing like a, a lot of your shares. I went from like 20 to like one or something. I'm like, seriously, dude, like get it from a bank or something. You know what I mean? But it was just crazy. And we're not going to do that again. So that's what I think the whole purpose is of we're going to make it sustainable and we're going to build a team again, but it's going to be, you know, it's going to take time because we're not going to be like, like, Oh, we're going to take a zillion orders or whatever. We don't want to do that. We want to bring something back to snowboarding, like soul and the feeling and bring the right people in that we feel can represent and give them and like their ability to shape what snowboarding's future is. Like we'll be like the heads, like the grandpas basically I am basically almost at that age. And you know, like, I could be a grandpa. So yeah, like kids, this is your, your thing now. Like we can, we are wise. We've been through all this stuff. We know the mistakes and we can make something super cool and give you guys a platform to do something amazing. So that's what kind of, that's how we want to do it. And that's our, what we're going to do. So that's exciting. Sidebar question. Who made the forum logo? Well, I would take credit for that, uh, original drawing. I mean, I've been playing guitar for a long time and and it was like at be, at the beginning it was like oh it's an F like what forum F what are we going to do with it like is it the writing or this and that and I'm like looking at a, a guitar with an F hole cut you know and I'm like that's pretty much says it all like it has balance it has beauty it's kind of sexy looking it it looks rad and and it has like a it's musical so it has like just a lot of vibe to it you know, so I just drew that on a napkin, just made a little box around it. And I'm like, what do you guys think? And I was like, that looks pretty cool. And then like Nico Octipis, I think, uh, got in there and I'm not sure if he was, I'm pretty sure he's the one that cleaned it up and made it what it was. That was actually this logo. I don't know if you could see it. It's, it's a lot, uh, rounder and this is a new logo up here. So it's a little straighter, a little more modern i guess you could say but yeah the other thing just thinking about form i know we got a lot of stuff to talk about but the thing that's exciting is that you know you made true life resistance decade you know all the in my opinion i will say you know others may have different opinions to them but to me the the forum eight era of forum is the era that really hits the heartstrings for people you know and i think that thing that's amazing is you you film all the people on forums in the forum eight in those eras. And so you could tell that story. Is that something you guys are planning on doing? Well, I mean, that's something that we definitely will lean into at some point. We've talked about doing like a, a kind of a forum documentary. There's so much to it. Like, uh, there's a lot of crazy stories and drama and stuff like that, but we want it to be new. dude. Like, we're not like, we're not like you, we're not going to roll this thing out like some nostalgia play. That's not what the idea is. We want it to be new. We want it to be fresh. We want it to be current. And, and like I said earlier, we want to build a team and give them a platform to establish what snowboarding is to them and bring something new to snowboarding that as older guys, we're not going to be that. We don't want to be that voice. You know, we're, we've already done our thing as far as that sort of thing. But I want I, I'm looking at being, uh, you know, like I grew up having an apprentice. I did an apprenticeship, one of my first things. And I want to bring kids in that I think have the ability to become amazing filmmakers have them be my apprentice, learn crazy stuff, you know, like hook them up with some red cameras and like 
like teach them how to do it and have them go out and have the right team and like, okay, it's a blank slate for you guys. We're going to make sure that you don't, we know a lot of problems. You could fall off this cliff over here or that. We'll just put some ropes up here and there, but that's what our plan is. So no, we're not trying to go for an, an old nostalgia thing. It'll be something we could talk about and possibly do in, in a documentary, but yeah, that's not the idea. Love it. Forum seems like it's going to kick ass. Let's do this. Let's do this. <laughs> I'm so hyped. This is not your parents' forum. That's what I keep joking. No one else <laughs> thinks it's funny but me. But <laughs> I love it. We're back, but this is not your parents' forum. Sweet. What's the What's the website? Um, where's the website? Forum snowboards. Right now, it's loading. Next, yeah, it'll be uh, forumsnow.com. Forum snowboards. We'll have, a, snowboards.com. we'll have a link Form in the snowboard. show notes if you're listening and the YouTube if you're watching. So yeah. you guys can check that out. So I got to ask, uh, I kind of heard a rumor that over the course of your career, you didn't really like watch many other videos from other. He told us that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, not, no disrespect. I'm, but literally want to do a cool film, do something original and, not be influenced by other people at that point and also live life doing other things besides worrying about uh, what other people are doing really. You know what I mean? I want to go surf. I want to ride my dirt bike or whatever it is. You know, like I, I got other things to do, like hang out with my family. Um, so I like that. I like that, that approach. I also like that you don't want to be inspired by other people's stuff. and I don't want to bite it too yeah. much. You just don't want to see good it. Point. Yeah. That's a good point. Well, this is a good segue for you know what, buds. Name that video part. All right, since you've edited 7,800 videos, we picked uh, three. We got three name that video parts. I think they get progressively easier. So, but we'll see. Okay, uh, first one, if you know what it is. Uh, let us know. What's oh yeah? What's your confidence level? Zero through ten on remembering what video part it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, not not super high. Give us a number. One uh, not ten. one through ten, maybe like twenty percent. Two. That's two. a two. That's a two. Kay. All right, two. Here we go. Well, it's uh, what's that? Um, it's no use for a name for sure. Mm-hmm. Believe it's up in the ante intro. Yes, it is. Woo! Yes. Okay. One for one. Bam. Yeah. One for one. Okay. And by the way, no use for a name is insane. And I heard they're just putting out right now on Fat Rec Chords a whole like compilation type of thing, box set. So go check that out at Fat Rec Chords. Awesome. Amazing. Okay. Next one. See how he does. This ain't the way it's supposed to be. There's a dark cloud following me. I'm disillusioned. Well, that I believe I know it's social distortion. Um Is it Peter Line possibly? Um yep. decade? Yep. There it is. This guy's good. Okay, he's this good. He comes good. in like he doesn't know, but he knows. It's okay. All right. Last one. It's for him to go three for three. <laughs> Rename that video. Part. Can he do it? Can he do it? It's a JP part, right? That's uh, correct. Um, what movie is it though? 
Second thing I thought is I could never think like that again. Shakedown, right? Yes, it is. Wow. All right, you, you, go. got, you got yourself a, uh, a prize pack here from us at the bomb hole. You got a, a – it comes in a Yeti bag. Sick. So you can take that thing down to the beach. Uh, shout out to the good folks at Yeti for hooking us up with that. And then uh, we also threw some Slow Tide towels in there. So uh, Slow Tide makes towels, blankets. They got all kinds of cool stuff. If you're looking for a gift – you can head on over to slowtide.co. They have, um, I think nice. we might have a promo code too. I think if you use promo code BOMBHOLE, you might get a discount. Maybe. I'm almost positive about that. And also we got BOMBHOLE branded Slow Tide towels. Yep. So shout out to Slow Tide for hooking us up. Yep. Um, if you want one of those, you can hit up BOMBHOLE.com. We got you. All kinds of cool stuff in here. Yeah, yeah we too got bad, Too bad I'll never see it because my daughter will steal this stuff before <laughs> it gets like one step in the door but it's nice to have it for she'll just, just walk away with that whole bag basically straight up yeah if, if, I like, get stuff, now. if i get stuff even before it makes it home if i take a picture of something someone gave me she's like that's mine that's mine <laughs> <laughs> nice all right and we're gonna do our name that video part for you guys the listeners the audience the viewers basically how this works is if you know what song this is in the video you comment on instagram on the photo of Dogger when it comes out. First one to comment gets what, buds? You're going to get a prize pack courtesy of the bomb hole. Courtesy of the B-hole. Okay, here we go. Can I say belly? That is the <laughs> actual cinematic movie that is the original, I believe. Do I get a prize pack? Uh, yes, buds. We're going to give you uh, three stickers, three Woo! bomb hole stickers. Yes. Okay, thank you guys for playing. Name that video part, huh, buds? All right, we're going to take a quick break and talk to you guys about Liquid Death. Now, big news. They got flavors now, buds. Yeah, like three flavors. Are you an OG Bubbles or are you flavor? You know, I was the OG still. I like the still water, but lately the uh, flavor's been growing on me. The uh, the lime, the berry, the mango, love them all. We've got them by the palate over here, and if you haven't seen a Liquid Death can, it looks like a beer. So a tall boy, right? It looks like a tall boy. So if you see us out in front of the office, it looks like we're getting absolutely obliterated at like 8 a.m. Yep. We're actually just drinking water, and that's what's great about Liquid Death. You can drink it in your car. It looks like you're a raging alcoholic driving around. You see a pregnant lady with one of these tall mm -hmm. boys? She is not doing anything wrong. She's just drinking some water. She's not being negligent. She's actually getting hydrated. So if you're interested in picking up some Liquid Death, head on over to liquiddeath.com slash bombhole. Again, liquiddeath.com slash bombhole. You can be chugging Licky D before you know it. You can also find it at Whole Foods, 7-Eleven, Target, Albertsons, Safeway, or Amazon. You know, fun fact, do you know why they call it Liquid Death? Why is that, bud? Because it murders your thirst. That is a fun little fact. <laughs> so we just did name that video part. And, you know, music in videos is really important. You know, before I even get into that, we have a guest question from Gunny about what I'm talking about right now. Let's get into it. Your MacDog created careers, probably broke some careers too, and basically was the soundtrack for snowboarding to me and I'm sure millions of others for so many years, for decades, literally decades. So my question to you is this, Mike McIntyre. How did you pick the songs? How did you work with the artists? How did you work with the riders to figure out what songs would go with their parts? 
I mean, this is important stuff, right? I believe Bombhole even has a segment called Name That Video Part, which is entirely based on picking the video part based on the song that you hear. And how many of your own videos can you name, parts that is, by the song himself? I even remember Trevor Andrew once saying that he wished you would release every Mac Dog movie soundtrack alone because it was so monumental to the... To the people, let's say. To the people. I don't even <laughs> not know what happened. What He got cut off there, but I think you kind of get the gist of the question. Got the idea. And Gunny. Yep, good old Gunny, my brother-in-law. I don't know if you guys know it. But oh, that's right. We're brother-in-law. Yeah, so I like, just learned that recently. My wife and his wife are twin sisters. Wow. Gunny actually, and Jen, Gunny's wife, facilitated <laughs> Catherine and I getting together when we were kicking and screaming. That was like... Anyways, that's a side note, but it eventually worked out. They knew what they were doing, and we uh, we ended up getting married and having a kid. And yeah, we're family. So um, so he's throwing the hard questions at the family member here. I see how it goes. <laughs> I have to take a sidebar. I trimmed up Gunny's question because it was like uh, it was like two minutes long. So, uh, but I didn't trim the end. So I apologize. But you get the gist of the question. Yeah. So okay. So t- how did I pick the songs for the soundtracks? Okay, at the beginning, it's a long. Kind of a long answer, but in the beginning, zero money. Um, how did we, how did it go? Go to shows. I went to shows all the time. I lived in San Francisco Bay Area, and it's like the music hotbed. All these insane bands every night playing, at, in all these little dive bars, and go in there like, oh, that that was sick. Okay, go up to the band right after they're done. You guys got a tape or anything? Yeah, we do have a tape. Hey, I'm making a snowboard movie. Do you guys want to be in it? Yeah, let's do this, all right? And so that's how it kind of worked. It was just like very basic. Go to the show, like band, get song. And, you know, like a lot of them did it for free, and and that was it, you know? And as things progressed um, throughout the years, we started having to do more stuff with, like, contracts and stuff like that, and, my my uh, sister Leslie actually helped me with the business at the beginning, and then uh, a lady named Liberty uh, O'Toole she took over for a little while, and she started working with like Fat Records and getting some stuff for those guys, and and then Lori Vincent, who at this point is the kingpin of getting music for action sports films, she worked for me for many many years, and she did magical things like how do you get stuff like she did i have no idea we're just like we should get metallica we should get the rolling stones let's get this or that and Lori would do it and we're just like shocking like i don't know how she pulled that stuff off but she did so good at it that after like we were done with the the movies everyone's just hitting her up like i need you to clear some songs like that for my movie and so she made a business out of it called contract sound and she kills it but Anyways, that's kind of the, the story of how we did it. And then how we pick the songs, it's all about the feeling. You know what I mean? That's It's like the whole, it's like a little recipe, a menu. You got to like throw the stuff in there like, oh, this guy's going to work really good with this style of music, you know? And then there's also kind of like the flow of a film. Like, you know, like you want to hit it hard at the beginning and kind of build like a big gnarly peak at the beginning and then, you know, let it go down for just a second, then hit it hard again, then, you know, kind of do these little peaks and valleys with emotions, and, and music has a big part of that, you know. It, it drives it. It gives you a chance to relax. It brings it back, and, you know, like the 
old formula of like the gnarly montage, the second best part is the first part in the video. So you're, you throw the hooks in hard. So people are going to watch this thing and then you can kind of let it kind of mellow out, like kind of some of the in-between parts. And then of course, the ender like has to be a big song and the best part in the video. That's kind of like, like one Oh one action sport film thing, you know? So we just kind of stuck with that. I love seeing the breakdown, mm-hmm. uh, your, your psychology on it. And I do have to say the, the soundtracks have been so great over the years and, and I don't think they're as good as they used to be. Not to be that like old guy, like, Oh, they don't make them like they used to. But you know, when you look at even just, you know, what we've, what we've listened to on here, you have just named that video <laughs> part. You have, you have Annie up for JP and then you have, you know, you got no effects, uh, you got like I don't give a damn about my reputation. You like that all the songs like it was such a blend of like awesome punk and then good rap and then fast metal and I don't know for me it just driving around listening those soundtracks like shaped you know what we listened to it was it was like the soundtrack of our lives it was really uh, really important I think yeah and it was it was a lot of fun and you know I'll tell you one of the cooler ones that uh, that we got was a Foo Fighters song and. Uh, Everlong, and we got that for one dollar. And Tina, Tina was out. going <laughs> was going out with Dave yep. at that point, right? And Tina uh, Bassich was going out with Dave Grohl. And you know, I was like, Tina, what do you think about uh, putting in a good word for us over there? And so she did, and we wanted that song. And so, yeah, was Dave's like, you guys can use it for free. Yeah, Dave was so cool. Yeah, and then the the label was like, uh. Really, Dave? <laughs> so they had to make a contract for $1 because it had to be like an official contract. So we paid $1. Thank you, Dave Grohl, and thank you, Tina, for that. That was just Dude, I insane. bet it's not easy because there's so many other people involved to be like, you can have this for free, you know? Mm, it's not yeah. very easy to do Like, he probably had to go through some serious red tape to make that happen. I think it was easier back then. Yeah. And, you know, like, as... And it's a parallel universe between music and action sports film type of thing where at one point like you know you go and you buy your record or you go and you buy your vhs and it's pretty hard to copy that right you could possibly do it but it's not as good Mm -hmm. type of thing and as time went on like it's super easy like you can copy it it's the same quality yeah and so then both of those industries started having a downturn in in sales because there's so much piracy too much bootlegging and so on. now like it's way harder to get a big track because people are like we need to make money like more because we lost so much on this so it's it's way more challenging to get a big soundtrack now and the contracts are a lot gnarlier so maybe that's your point of like the old movies having a little bit heavier soundtracks it was you know just part of the timing of you know it was available like they would do it like you could get a rolling stones or blondie or whatever it was for you know it was a lot of money but it was doable you know nowadays it's way different yeah i love that that foo fighters song i believe in i know you guys use one in technical difficulties on what song it's like a big medley part is it technical difficulties? there's a there's foo fighters in a couple of different yeah. uh dogger films i, I think it's might be technical difficulties or simple pleasures i can't remember yep but anyways, yeah, that era, that era's uh, the those videos kind of simple pleasures, decade, technical difficulties. 
is kind of the next wave of videos before just the form videos. I I like that. That block of time was really important to me as a kid. Yeah. It's like those ones, those ones are special. I have a Patreon question about all these videos. Yeah, do it. This is from Benjamin Wisner. What film are you most proud of and why? Well, Benjamin. Um, yeah, good one. Jeez. I don't even know. Like, like I, I still like Hard, the Hungry, and the Homeless just because of the feeling that I get when I watch it and I remember how much fun I was having and how much fun everyone was having and just how raw it was. So for me, it just touches my heart more probably than the other ones just because that's when we are all kind of finding something that was so new and cool and just it was just an insane situation. So you didn't have 100 sponsors on your back, like making sure it all worked out. It was just you guys making cool stuff happen. Yeah. I'd imagine, you know. That's pretty fun stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, was it the best film? No, probably not, you know. But hey, we're still talking about it all these years later. But it, to me, like when I watch it and like the intro and just the whole thing just gets me stoked. So that's the whole point of it. And I think it got a lot of people to maybe not go to college or drop out of school <laughs> and uh, move west. <laughs> Could be. Like the guy sitting to my right <laughs> like right here. Me right here. <laughs> so another thing I want to ask is uh, in regards to people that want to get into filmmaking or want to make a snowboard video, do you have any advice for them? I mean, I do have advice for people uh, that are starting out and want to get into it. And I would have to say one of the mo- one of the main things that I see that's annoying to me is people just handhold everything and they shoot a lot of wide stuff and they don't really mix it up that much. So that's annoying to me. I, I like to see a variety of stuff. I think you need to have a variety of shots, types of shots, and you need to have you know, a variety of riders, like different styles of riding and different approaches to it and different music. You need to kind of make something that moves and keeps keeps your interest, you know. You can't just have the same type of shot and the same type of riding and all that. Like, it, it's all like, it's like a recipe, you know. You just have to kind of keep tinkering with it until you get something that's tasty all the way through. Then you're good, but... I'd say for a kid getting into it, I would get a fluid head tripod, get something solid that gives you a nice smooth shot, learn how to use that, you know, and and then, you know, you can get your wide step all day long. That's easy, handheld, but learn how to shoot, actually, like a proper cinematic-looking shot. How do you feel when the the long-lens kids are just going handheld with it? Oh, uh, well, the long lens footage? I, I mean, that's been going on forever. Look at Whitey's films. Yeah. I mean, Whitey would never use a tripod. Mm-hmm. And, like, everyone loved his movies. <laughs> he had great action, amazing soundtracks. Yeah, good music. Really good music and a really good filmmaker. And that was his style. But to me, I couldn't handle that because I want to see those shots, in particular that you're calling out, on a tripod. I want to see that clean. But that wasn't his vibe. So it worked for him what he did. Yeah. But, you know what I mean? That's been going on forever. I don't like that, dude. I like to see if it's a long shot, I want to see it a clean, killer, cinematic, beautiful shot, you know? And where's your heads at with dollies? I, I mean, anything that has that adds to the shot is great. Anything that is just there to look cool, but it doesn't really add anything is just doesn't really resonate, you know? So mm-hmm. If, and we, I feel like in certain of our films, there was an abuse of dolly work and 
and trying to make shots like more than, I don't know, just too much of that. Right. It's when Kramer was doing some directing and, uh, and Yako and the kid from Finland, he was really into it. And he's like, we got to get movement on everything. And like, it's cool. Like the movie looked rad, like picture this when it came out, but it was kind of a little bit too much. So I think there's, I think everything, it's kind of like a tool, everything in filmmaking, you have all these tools. So use the tool properly and then use a lot of tools. Don't just use the same tools. And then you can make a really cool looking place, you know, like a mm-hmm. cool house with your tools. Like it's kind of like a carpenter, you know, like, and you don't need much like a good carpenter can with a hammer, a screwdriver and a saw and a, you know, a couple nails and some screws. Like you can make a house, you know, you don't need all this fancy stuff. The other stuff, just like adding a little spice here and there, but you don't need it. So, I think people abuse stuff a lot. Uh, yeah, you can overuse stuff easy. Easy. You ever watch Wes Anderson's films? Sometimes. No, I'm, I'm not like... That guy can use a dolly properly, if you yeah. ask me, but yeah. Other what do you think about our tripods stuff. and uh, lighting and, <laughs> and microphones we're using on this set? This one has cement on it. Okay. What so about, uh, so, so uh, I was out at Peace Park this year um, helping Danny like with the crew and just kind of you know doing some stuff and... Bombhole came out to Peace Park, and I've never actually seen your guys' set. And it was an impromptu set at at Bachelor, and I was I was pretty shocked and appalled. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm I'm not gonna lie. Like, look at this. Shocked look at and look, appalled. Look at this mic placement. I mean, it's like that, a big metal it's arm. Like, in there's front an of your arm face. casting shadow. The lights are too high. We got all of us have hat shadow. Lights all have different color. And we're all wearing it looks hats. like <laughs> that's on I brand. Mean, that's on brand. I would have to say, you know, it's your guys' vibe, and that's what it's all about. Like, it totally works for your guys' thing. Like me, like I went into your guys' set. You remember? I'm like, let me move this mic and make it better. And you guys, what are you guys? What are you doing with my mic? <laughs> I'm like, sorry, dude. That. I feel I I apologize for that. But like, I'm like. I come from a different like way of looking at it. I and, love it. And I, I was it just too. like, we learned. We'd be much better if we listened to you. Yeah. But we're, uh, dude, it works for you guys. You guys are killing it. And thank you. That, that's, I mean, you guys have your vibe and it. Why change it? Just because what someone else says. <laughs> Mac Dog's uh, little little blurb on the bomb hole. Shocked and appalled. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do. Let's let's do a little. Uh, you should give us some notes after this. Maybe we can find some improvements. But moving along, we got a bunch of stuff to talk about, and I I really want to talk about the evolution of filmmaking. So you know, obviously you start with your Super Eight, you move to your sixteen, which I think little sidebar is really cool. They used it to film World, World War Two with those cameras, and I want you to talk about the pros and cons of as it evolved from, you know, to VHSs to DVDs to the internet, um, like the how it changed and for better or worse, and where we're at with all that stuff. Well, it's obviously way bigger now. Like the platform is worldwide instantly. Like that's a plus. So that's super cool. Um, the, the democratization of image quality is also there. Like all cameras, including like your phone, are good enough. Like it's a good quality shot. Like it looks good. It's good enough. People actually resonate more a lot of times on a shot on a phone than they would on a, any other camera. Like they're so used to it. It's like, so that part is good. It's, it, you know, stuff looks good. And it's 
it can get out there to a lot of people. Now, the other parts of it are a little bit more unfortunate, you know, like like the, some of the um, things that I really, really don't like about filmmaking and kind of where everything's at is we're talking, we started out, um, TVs were four by three, right? So we have these kind of cameras, like the film cameras, they're shooting in a four by three aspect ratio, which is basically like a shape like this, right? And then we moved on, we got started getting into HD televisions and that kind of dictated the cameras, and right? So those were like uh, 16 by nine. So it's a little bit more of, of this sort of a shape, a wider shape. Um, and this four by three lends itself really good to stuff coming at you more or less, right? Like a cliff drop or, or if you're just slightly at the bottom of a rail, but you're not like side profile, it looks great. It fits in the frame. Everything looks great. When you go to 16 by nine, then you, if you, and it worked good for snowboarding too, cause things got bigger, you know, like at that point, things were getting a lot bigger. So the jumps were really big. The rails were really big. So you're catching a side angle that 16 by nine frame that's super wide is super good for the actual sport and makes it look great. Now with social and like all these people saying, Oh, this is an algorithm. Like if, if there's like all these people that say like, if you're looking at your phone like this, flipping through your Instagram or whatever your social thing is, if you have to do this to look at it, 16 by nine, you're out. Like a lot of people are out or just move on to the next thing. So now you're getting all these people that are producing content for a nine by 16, which is the shape of this phone. And what does that fit for sports? You know what I mean? Like it's a little sliver. Like, what are you going to shoot that looks good for that? A cliff drop yeah, that's, that's super big. Bomb that's coming drops. straight at you. You know what I mean? That's the frame for that. Anything that's a big shot, like a rail or whatever, or a big jump. I shoot a lot of moto. I actually shoot daredevil stuff too, like really, really big stuff, like 400 plus foot jumps. Does a little sliver work? It does not work at all. And, and so like, I have a really big problem with that as a filmmaker and as a, a person who cares about the actual sports, it makes the sport look terrible. And so like, I've had conversations with all kinds of people like at ESPN and like, and then like whoever I'm working for, it's that's calling out these things that they want. I'm like, you're, you're not even making the sport look good. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what are you doing? Like we're trying to, the whole idea of it is you want people to be engaged and to be stoked and, and if you can't even see what's coming up, like if you shoot a 16 by nine shot, you have like, if you use a r rule of thirds, a person's in the back third and they're going this direction, you're, you're riding with them. You see what's in front and you're engaged with it and you can see what's coming up and you could see like, Oh shit, look at that. It's a triple kink or whatever it is. You know what I mean? You can, instead of just seeing this little sliver and seeing them go through it, you're actually experiencing it with the person. And so it's a total miss, like as far as I'm concerned. And it's it's a total bummer. I don't know if it'll ever come back, but what I actually foresee is that it won't. And I foresee like cameras like this, like I use this red camera a lot. Um, it's my main camera and it shoots 16 by nine, but I could see cameras like this, big cinema cameras with a nine by 16, you know, like turn the sensor because that's what everyone wants to see. And maybe television will be like that. I don't know. It's totally annoying. But most people do consume their 
material on a phone, you know, so. There's it, even wider TVs now, too, right? Yeah, Have but you seen some our analytics, though, like you're saying, it's like, I don't know what it is, but it's 80% of the people on YouTube are watching on a phone or something like that. Yeah. And, and their analytics, like, you know, like, I am I don't follow this too much, but, like, when I get hired by people, like, say, like, a Red Bull or something, and they want their social needs are like, this is what we want. It, we we have done all this analysis, and if you, someone has to turn their phone, they're out. So this is the this is the way it is. You're shooting like this. So in my frame lines, what I'm shooting nowadays, it's a 16 by nine camera, but I mark out with like little frame guides on my uh, monitor, like this little slice in the middle that I'm like, I have to be aware of that. Like I can't let a person travel through a frame anymore. Like, yes, you have to try to shoot more straight on. We just have to keep them in that zone. Otherwise, yeah. you have to kind of reframe it in editing, and that always looks bad. Yeah. You know what I mean? You have to kind of like. Also, the other sidebar, too, what, what you're talking about is if you have this nice red camera and you're shooting this high-definition clip, it's cinema, cinemagraphic, whatever the word is, and then it's watched on a phone. Exactly. Like, what's the point? That's what I'm saying. The democratization of image quality, it's so good now that, this is amazing camera. There's no doubt about it. Like Jim Gennard, who, who you know he owned Oakley, he actually made this camera. Did you know that? that no, I didn't know. That. I did not know. That. This is a crazy story. So Jim Gennard, he he was a uh, owned Oakley, did all that stuff. Um, he since sold it or whatever. But during he was a super crazy camera nerd, like way beyond me, like super into it. And he's off, you know, pretty well off. So he had pretty much every good camera that ever was. Like all the notable still cameras, all the notable film cameras, motion picture cameras, all the video cameras, and in this vault at at uh, Oakley. All these cameras. And his idea was he wanted to make a camera that would do everything, that you could take stills with, It could be like as good as any of the other motion picture cameras. And so he started talking about it, and everyone's like, you're crazy, dude. And like, and he's like, I'm going to do it. And, you know, like if you guys want in, it's, you know, you got to put a thousand dollars down right now. And he'd sponsor my films forever. And he's like a Midas man. There's people like that, you know, like that, whatever they do, it works. Like I'm putting my money down on this. Hopefully it works. Right. And put my money down. I got my camera and uh, yeah, he totally did it. He made the, a 4k camera. It was $17,500 and it was, it just totally changed everything instead of like being like in Hollywood, you know, like, Oh, we're shooting on film. This camera costs like a hundred grand and you're going to spend like 150, 200 grand on film to make it just to buy the film and do it. Like you're already in like, you know, like who knows what, like a half mil to even start going. Well, you could take that camera you made 17,500 and get quality that was comparable. And that was a, that's like kind of what really started changing everything. And it made like a big impact. Like we started buying those cameras and it was, I went into doing freelance stuff and did a ton of commercial work with a, a red camera and it, it worked really good. But now like everyone else is kind of catching up. I mean, this, they still make some of the best cameras ever, but like you said, like, is it worth it for stuff for the social stuff? Maybe not, you know, for stuff that's like if I'm going to go make a movie and spend like half a year doing it and and I want to have the best quality shots and yeah, it's totally worth it. If I'm shooting a commercial and it's like high end and 
I want it to look as good as possible. Of course it's worth it. You know what I mean? Like you can do more with a better tool, obviously, but like for snowboarding, what I see, like, and I see on the internet most of the time, like on the Instagram stuff, everyone posts, it's like GoPro or iPhone stuff all the time. Does it look good? Yeah. It looks fine. Like that's fine. I love it. I wanted to ask you one question about shooting film versus shooting uh, digital. What, what do you like more? I mean, film is tough. It's really hard to shoot. Like you have to expose it. You can't just be like, put the monitor on the digital camera, look at it, like have a, a waveform there and be like, oh, here's my exposure. I'll just change a few things and be good. Like you have like on a camera like this, I can look at waveforms. I can look at all kinds of uh, exposure tools and make sure my exposure is dead on. I can use focus assist tools and make sure I'm totally sharp. And you know what I mean? You can do all that stuff. You you put in the, the frames per second you want. And it is exactly that. Like it, you know, you get into a camera like this and it's all manual. Like you have to take out a light meter which you brought, huh? <laughs> Which you don't, if you don't have a light meter and you're not reading how much actual light is in your scene, you can't even expose the film. Every film has like a different uh, sensitivity. So you have to know the sensitivity of your film. You have to take a reading. You have to know how to, uh, you know, interpret it and for your scene, see the light and, and then expose it properly. Shooting on something like a Super 8, like, it has a like terrible latitude, which means how much is in like um, in the whole image of from white to black, how many like gradients there are in between this maybe has like five or six or something. It looks, it's really hard. You have to nail your exposure. This is a lot better. And these things have gone, have surpassed film, you know, like as far as that goes. So it's way easier to shoot the look you can get from film is totally different though you know you have that organic grain you have um you know you have all the kind of weird light leaky stuff that comes if you at the beginning and end people seem to love so much all that sort of thing so it's it's totally different what do i prefer shooting on no one pays for me to shoot on film ever like no one like i freelance for the last whatever 10 12 years no one's been like oh can you shoot on 16 or super 16 or super eight? No, it's all like bring the red. We're good. So, I mean, the red will almost get you jobs, right? Well, it just seems that way nowadays. Like it's just a standard, you know yeah. what I mean? But I'm going to shoot a lot of super eight when we get this whole form thing going again, for sure. And it just looks so cool. And it brings such a good vibe. It's really good for portraits and, and for some stuff too, especially with that original death lens, you know, like it looks insane. So I'd like to do that and bring back some 16 and stuff like that. I know people are doing it. I've, I've heard like Vans did some films all in film again. And Greg Hunt, he's a really good friend of mine. He's uh he's just always shot on film, I think. So he never left off that. So yeah. props to him for being strong all the way through. But yeah, I mean, it's just hard. You have to pay a lot of money for it too. Like a side note, like when we did those big movies back in like that you were talking about, like say like a resistance or something like that, that Kearns directed, we would spend like a hundred grand on film. That was part of the budget. You know what I mean? Like 
hundred grand for film and processing. Big expense. Yeah, and then shooting on digital, you have none of that. So, so it's a it's something to consider, right? It's harder to blow a shot in digi too. You can like adjust everything, you know. There's there's a lot of latitude, and you're looking at it. Yeah, and you can look at the shot directly after you shoot it. You can analyze it. Everyone can weigh in. Is it good enough? Like all that sort of stuff. So it does make things pretty nice in that regard. Yeah. One, but one part I'm going to interrupt though. Part of that's really exciting. That doesn't make sense logically, but one of the beauties of film is when you get a rollback and you sit there and you're like, "Here we go, play." I hope this looks good. That's all that anticipation. Yeah, that's pretty. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's no one has totally to unnecessary. <laughs> totally unnecessary, but awesome. It looks cool though. It's different, you know. Like I don't know. We started watch. We watched Breaking Bad a long time ago, but my wife and I started watching it again the other day, and I was like, I forgot it was shot on film, and then ah. instantly. I was like, oh, this looks so good. Like, mm -hmm. it's just seamless. So, it just has that beautiful grain and just the way that the light works and the, the, you know, the way that the highlights roll off. It's just amazing. Yeah. I have a quick Patreon question for you. This is from Daniel Jensen. In 2022, the era of attention spans shorter than goldfish and biscuits fewer and farther between. What would an MDP production look like? Good question. I have no idea. Like that analysis of what is what people are going to react to. That's totally weird to even conceptualize that. I don't know. Like I haven't spent enough time like putting stuff out that to even know recently. You know, and I agree with that question. People's attention span is very short. It's a whole different world, right? It is. <laughs> I I'm not, and that's why I'm saying like. Moving forward, doing stuff with the forum things. Um, That's when we might be able to see what it's going to be like. Huh? Yeah, and then I'm uh, like I was saying earlier, like I'm going to bring in kids, and they'll they can be my apprentice. I'll teach them how to be filmmakers, and but give them the tools and the, the you know the skills. But it's their world, and then send them out. There. Yeah, it's That's their bad. world. You know what I mean? It's not my world. Like I can show them a lot, but yeah. I'll get out there and shoot too. Like I love shooting. There's no doubt about it. Like, every chance I get, I'm out there, you know? That'll be fun. Those kids are going to be hyped. Love that. Now, a couple things I want to bring up. Um, Rail Liberation Unit. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those one of those fun things that uh, we did back in the day. I mean, Rail Liberation Unit is liberating rails that were knobbed, basically, you <laughs> know? And so we went around. It was me, J.P., and Seth, for the most part, were the, the the main crew. But a lot of people got into it, too. But, yeah, I mean, we kind of adopted this, like, motto. Like, yeah, you guys can knob it up, but we're just going to take them off anyways, you know. So we would go around town, a lot in Salt Lake here, and we would uh, put on our work suits. We kind of, like, kind of figured that if you put on a hard hat and you put on the vest and the work boots and, the you know, the work glasses – we could go straight up in front of an office building where people are sitting there drinking their coffee, doing their emails, put cones up, put up a rope around their rail. They're looking at you, grind the stuff off, hit it up. We'd get the right spray paint, spray paint it so it looked all killer, pack up the stuff and leave and come back that night and hit the rail. And that, you know, like being in broad daylight and... No one thinks it's suspicious. You know no one I mean? said a word to you. Huh? Yeah. And so it totally worked. And that kind of like went over into 
a lot of different, I see people do it all the time in, in Sensen. Like mm. you always see people in the work, uh, vest, vest and, and, vest and the hard hat work. And it totally worked. Yep. Yeah. There's a lot of things like that, that we kind of started and then it kind of, kind of like worked like snowmobiles. Like I remember when we first got into snowmobiling, like I was like, well, I'm not, like, the car worked. We got it up the hill, <laughs> but what about a snowmobile? You see the guys at the resort, like, let's do, let's try that out. So we, I mean, on my first sleds that I bought, there was like a 340 and a 440 with like a quarter inch track, 120s. So they couldn't go anywhere except for <laughs> on track. I'm serious. Like they couldn't <laughs> go anywhere except for on the resort. Mm-hmm. So we would just like drive it to like Brighton or Colorado or whatever after it was closed and drive up there and film stuff and stay on the cat tracks basically because you couldn't go anywhere else. That's all they were good for. Still better than hiking. Nowadays they got three and a half inch paddles and the thing about quarter inch. Quarter insane. inch. Yeah. I like how you said it's better than the car. Yeah. <laughs> So another thing, too, talking about the ra- kind of rail liberation unit is I know that you had some stories of kind of evading police, uh, using radios, cameras in the trash, things like that. Oh, I mean, I know what you're getting at. Like, we, well, the whole idea, right, is to not get caught for doing stuff. And, you know, it, I don't know how to say this, but it is it is somewhat disrespectful and I can see the other side of it, why people will be bummed. Like if you go and you're sessioning on someone's building or something like that, a public park, not so much, but like someone's property, it's, it's looking back, it's kind of not that cool. Um, it doesn't really do that much damage, like a snowboard or something like that. It really doesn't. But yeah, so it got really heated in the valley here in Salt Lake at one point to the in, you know, I would just run always with a scanner in my ear so that like I'm listening to the police chatter and like if someone's calling in, Hey, there's some kids hitting a rail over and blah, 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 and pack it up. And we're out here and we just drive off and the cops would be pulling in. So we'd always do that. That was a no brainer. Cause you know, you just get Genius. on. That's crazy. I never did that. Yeah, none of us there. ever done that. That's you. You guys are still ahead of the game. Yeah. yeah. And then, and you would literally hear the call come in. Yeah. And then, you know, like other stuff, like I was always older than the guys. Right. So I could get away with this all the time. Cause I'm not in snowboard boots. I'm like in like Sorrell's or work boots, you know, it's warm boots. So like if the cops actually did come in, like we didn't hear a call or whatever and we could see, okay, it's going to be a bus. I would always just walk my camera, like hide my camera, walk to like the nearest trash can in the area put my camera in the trash can and then just go like I'm going for a walk and just walk right by the police officer. And yeah, you don't know these guys. I have no idea who they are. Right. <laughs> I never got a ticket once ever. And we did a lot of stuff. Wow. Oh, I should have tried that. And then, you know, after he leaves, just walk back and get the camera. Get out. the camera. Well, buds, he wasn't wearing tech nine gear <laughs> down to his knees <laughs> and, uh, and looking like an absolute problem out there. True. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, another thing too, we got to talk about is the, the storage unit. It got to the point where you guys had a storage unit in Minneapolis. Yeah. There was just the tools that we needed, you know, like Kurt Heine, um, made like a, uh, what do you call it? A winch. An engineering feat was the first thing that he made that was ridiculous was a drop and ramp. ramp. Yeah. A drop and ramp that fit into a board bag. So it's like a Lego set, basically like a rector set, you know? It totally broke down and fit in a board bag. And then you like show up at the spot, open it up, 
it took maybe like half an hour to put it together, but you had a legit drop in ramp you could bring anywhere in the world. It's kind of a pain to reset it up. And, you know, we had always, uh, we spent a lot of time in Minnesota. There was a lot of rails. And so at one point we're like, this is ridiculous flying this stuff all the time, having to go and rent a generator and bring lights and stands and all the stuff that we had. So we would just had a storage unit, dropping ramps ready to go, the generator sitting right there, all the lights, all the stands, everything you need to do like a session, all the shovels, anything like the flamethrowers, the melt ice, just everything there. And like if you bought a bunch of salt or whatever for a trip before, just leave it in there and it's already ready to go the next time. So rent a pickup truck, go straight to the storage unit, back up, throw stuff in, go straight to the spot. Like within, you'd be riding within like 30 minutes of landing at the airport as opposed to, you know, the op, the other side of it, just like trying to get all that stuff together. And so, and we were, we were making, like I said, there was money being made. So it didn't so, matter paying the rent. It wasn't month. that much. It, yeah. That thing got rented for like 10 years straight, 10 we, years I, or maybe more. Cause after we stopped doing the snowboard films, the guys from Burton, like Eels and uh, Gabe LaRue and those guys, they were like, well, what are you going to do about that storage unit? And I'm <laughs> like, you guys keep renting it. Like Jeremy, I think took it over for a while. Seth, I don't know. Like a lot of people had that thing That's like cool. in their quiver <laughs> wasn't that much money it's like, yeah. it's like 60 bucks a month or something beats shipping in a winch or something yeah i gotta ask dogger one thing i noticed over the years is you were never really in front of the camera like you're never you never knew who mac dog was it seemed like from all the videos growing up was that an intentional move kind of yeah i mean one of my favorite movies is wizard of oz if that says anything you know what i mean just you're the man behind the curtain yeah, I mean, what's the point? Like, I'm not the star. Like, I just want to make people look good, but I don't need to get any glory out of it. That was never my intention. You, know? you didn't throw yourself. I don't even. I don't even like to go on those big. Like when Forum was going crazy, like the big tour. Like, oh, let's go tour the film. Like everyone would go get partied out and do. I'm like, you yeah, I'll, I'll pass. I'll go surf. Like I'm fine. <laughs> you know, no but credit was, shots or anything though. That was occasionally. There's a there's some cameos in there, but that you know like. As as things went on, like those films in particular, like Kearns, he did the two form films. He directed mm -hmm. them, so go for it, dude. Like he'd slip you in there. No, he would. He liked to go on those tours and oh, do stuff. Gotcha. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. So it's whatever you're into. Yeah, I'm. I'm definitely. This is a unique experience to be doing this, talking and, and about you. <laughs> yeah, it's not. I don't do this, and I know you guys have asked me for a long time to do it, but. Finally cracked, so. Finally cracked. We got him. Well, we're happy to have you in here. <laughs> I think it's important just while we are we got everybody here just historically to run over um, the list of projects that you've done. And some of the years overlap. But in 1988, you made your first film, which is Sick Boys. And then that was a skate video. And then you went into snowboarding, 1990, which is New Kids on the Twalk. Next year, Pocahontas. Next you, year. You left out. Uh, Hocus, Pocus. Hocus Pocus. Oh, Hocus Pocus. Not on here. That's okay. when I worked on with the late Mike Chernansky. And I actually learned a lot from Mike Chernansky. Like, out of all the people that I worked with, like, you learn something from everyone, but I learned a lot from Mike Chernansky. So, that, he showed me a lot of things about... He was one of the original, like, Axemen dudes. He was <laughs> super gnarly. Really gnarly. And... That was a really prolific skate movie in the, at its time, right? It was just... It was a really, really, really good team. Yeah. 
we shot a ton of footage and the edit was brutal. Like, so after I, and I broke my arm during that, see that a uh, big scar right there, mm-hmm. broke that snowboarding right in the middle of the edit and, oh. and I had to get a surgery. And I remember I came back from that trip, my arm was all messed up and got the surgery and went straight to the edit suite with no painkillers. And just like, I was so like, enraged in pain then or like cut that shot cut that shot no like it was <laughs> like so it, edgy it was it worked super good yeah. Chernansky was nope. all stoked <laughs> so, but yeah i learned a lot from yeah, had my, you been on painkillers that's good man it's exactly that's fine man. yeah <laughs> that's totally true that's true like I that it's cool his arm goes down man <laughs> just Angry? No, out nope. now. Fine. Get that out of here now. Oh, yeah, like literally in excruciating pain, hating everything. <laughs> Amazing. Made Love a good it. edit, though. Yeah. Yep. I'm going to keep running through these. Then you have HHH, Hard, Hungry, and Homeless in 1992, Upping the Annie, uh, TB4, Run to the Hills. And there's also some other like TB videos in here as well. Two, three, and four. Two, three, and four, yep. Uh, tra- one thing we didn't talk about, Transworld Video Mag, one through four. Yeah. Those were really cool kind of day in the let. La- like, it was a little bit more than just a video. You got yeah. to know the people. Um, Stomping Ground, Simple Pleasures, Decade, Technical Difficulties, Amp, Resistance, Stand and Deliver, True Life, Nixon Jib Fest, Pulse, Game Show, Shakedown, Chulk Smack, From NDP with Love, Jibbing with Jeremy Jones, Follow Me Around, Jumping with UC. People, picture this. We're people to double decade down with people. That is a freak. And then you went on to do the, the post production stuff, which we'll get into, but it was from MDB with love from blank. With yeah, love. It was from yeah. blank. And right? then also <laughs> you forgot the, on the pipe series. I did the full moto series with Jay Schweitzer, who was, he was a guy that was an intern for us. And then he went on to do moto stuff and hit me up to help him make some moto films. So we did six films together um, on the pipe one through six. That was a lot of fun too. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, I want to take this moment. Like that's a big list, right? That's a really big list at the beginning. It was me and Mike King, maybe like helping with the edit. But from that point on, from the first couple of films, the crew grew and grew and grew and grew. I'm talking the filming crew and sure. That's a huge list, but there's a huge amount of people of incredible filmmakers that worked with me during the course of that. I mean, to, sit here and name names it's going to take like 20 30 minutes or something but it's not just mac dog productions was not just me and that's just my nickname you know what i mean it's a, a chunk of really really talented people that made all this all those films happen and i you know even towards the end after doing so many films and having my own style my own choices of music and seeing like i'm getting older i was like you know, let's bring some other directors in. Let's get a fresher take on it. Let's let other people kind of give their feeling to it. And like when Kearns came in and did the two movies for the forum years, the true life and the resistance, it was insane. Like he, he totally had his own style. It totally resonated with people. They loved it. You know, Kramer came in, he did some stuff. Um, like, and then there was all the staples like, you know, Heine and Ross are my two OGs that were in there from the beginning. But all I can say is like, it was a collaborative effort and also with all the writers too. Like it's, it's kind of like, I look at it as kind of 
I might have said it earlier, but it's symbiotic, you know, like we're all in this industry and we're all helping each other out. Like it's kind of like, okay, let's say this writer is a good writer right now. Like say it's whatever, like Peter or JP, Jeremy, whoever, they got all the juice. Like th them being in our film helps them out, uh, helps us out at that point, right? Because we got the, the, the big guys. But by the same token, at that same point that they're doing that, we're bringing on the next crew of dudes, let's say whoever it is, um, like Malmi or someone like that, and Bjorn, who knows what it is. And they're like, they're being like involved with our film is helping them out. You know what I mean? And then all of us all together are helping out snowboarding. And then the people that are involved in snowboarding are sponsoring our movies and they're helping us out. So it's like this, it's just like a big symbiotic experience that totally worked in, in, in that time frame. That's what made everything work really, you know, and it was just everybody involved. It's a list that is far too long to thank everyone, but I just want to kind of get that across. Like we're talking, I'm sitting here telling all these stories, Mac dog, this Mac dog, that that's just my nickname. Mac dog productions is a lot of different things. When you did real snow, were you a producer? Was that the role in real snow? I was a director. And my wife, uh, Catherine, was the producer. And so, yeah, we, we you know, we worked on that. Um, it started off, uh, Gunny got that show for us. He's done a lot of crazy stuff for us over the years, um, from the Jib Fest with Chad Denena and all that, all the way through to, you know, that, the Woodward stuff. We do a lot of stuff with Gunny on that. But, yeah, it was kind of his idea, and he pitched it to ESPN, I believe. And they were kind of doing it already but not as a TV show. And then we're like, yeah, we'll try it. And so we made it. You actually won, Chris, that this one year. This guy's got a gold medal over Yeah. There. That was great. Thanks. And it was a lot of fun. Like, And that, that was a way that was super, super fun for me to get, like not be in snowboarding a whole the whole year, but go like, okay, for like two months, I'm going to go and dip into all these crews that are like the gnarliest people doing the gnarliest stuff and I get to dip my toe in for a second. I'm over here just getting some shots on the sideline, <laughs> build these backstories and actually see and feel the pulse of snowboarding, but not have to grind it all year long. It was really special. It was super fun. And and then uh Gunny went after he became uh, working with Woodward more, Sarah and Chris uh, continued on and we, we did a bunch more shows with them. And yeah, and then we did the real moto shows, we got the real moto shows and so we think we did like 25 TV shows for World of X Games, wow. something like that. And it was a lot of fun. We had a good time. Talk about pushing progression, you know, geez. <clears throat> One thing I do want to just take a second and acknowledge you, and I think this is really important for our listeners and something important for me to say, is that what you're doing is when you take these, take snowboarding as a whole, and you're taking it and you're giving it to a broader audience, whether it's through snowboard videos, you know, these videos that, reached a massive audience through real snow. And so you're taking snowboarding and putting it in front of people that don't maybe already know what it is. And I think the thing that's really important is in the stewardship of our sport, a lot of people that do that can be cornballs. They can be, they can make our sport look fucking corny. And I just want to say thank you for over all these years of all these productions we talked about and still what you continue to do for not making our sport look corny. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't like corny stuff either. You know what I mean? Like, 
And I'm picky too, dude. Like I won't work on projects that are going to be really corny. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm choosy about like what I'm going to do. Like if if I'm directed and have full control, that's cool. You know, I have done some stuff that, you know, it's a little bit objectionable, but that's the way it goes. You know, you can't ever hit it all out of the park, but like nowadays, like, you know, like what are the things that I really enjoy filming and snowboarding? Like, of course, peace park, like, go there and Danny has this incredible vision. He's, he's a visionary. Like he is like making the right vibe in snowboarding. And so I love to work on that, whatever aspect I can. I've done director of photography on it a couple of times. And, and this last year I just helped put the crew together because I was coming back with a broken ankle and all that. But yeah, that sort of stuff and the real stuff and, you know, that stuff is a lot more fun, you know? And, and working with, I guess the way I look at it is I'll, I'll do pretty much any project if it's for a good price. Like I'm a freelancer, like I work for hire. And if the people are good people and it's a good project that's cool and has a good vibe, I'll do it for way less than what I could charge to give me my credentials. You know what I mean? Like if someone comes to me and they're like, Hey, we only have this much money, but, and I look at the project and I'm all, this is sick. I'll do it. You know? And otherwise, like if it's someone who's like has tons of money, but it's super corny, I'm like, that's going to cost you. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's kind of, it's kind of a sliding scale, you know, like what, what it is, you know? So, so I have been, that's been a big thing for me. Like, thanks for noticing that, but it's a big thing to keep it real and try and keep the right thing like all those stories that we told in the real series i really try to dig in and like let the people like express themselves and and you get a good feeling and you understand the person that was the whole point of it you know Mm -hmm. it was really i really liked the early years of the real series when like it that was really cool because it it, and it still continued to i don't want to i don't want to um i don't want to devalue it but like when when the moment you could get paid to put film a 90 second or one minute video part. And it was, they were competing and you had Lewif parody and Dan breezy and all this, it, it took street snowboarding from, you know, it really went leaps and bounds almost the same ways that snowboarding street snowboarding did in from, you know, decade to simple pleasures to technical difficulties that it was like that kind of rapid progression in those early years. Well, and it really brought the real vibe of the streets into people's houses, you know, mm-hmm. a side that they didn't really see through the videos, you know? Yeah, that was fun. Behind the scene vibe. That was fun. A lot of fun. And got to see some crazy stuff. Got to hang out with Frank. That dude is maniac. Frank Frank Bourgeois? Yes. Frank is, he's one of those guys where, like, you just watch him ride and you're like, okay. All right. (laughs) That's what you're doing. Yeah. It's like so gnarly. He was built for real snow. Some people are just built for real snow. (laughs) Yeah. He's one of them. Yeah. Other people, crumble under the pressure yeah a lot can't of pressure. handle the pressure some people love the pressure so one thing over all the years we talked about from 88 to 2008 there's an mdp production snowboard video pretty much every one of those years why why did it stop why did you stop doing it there's there's a multi-answer multi-faceted answer so what happened was at a certain point we we're doing dvd releases and you could copy the dvd right so we would put out a movie and literally it would hit the shops go on youtube it's already on there like an hour later and there's like thirty thousand downloads okay take it down it's off 
go back on there and a couple hours later it's up again and guess what there's 30 more thousand downloads like so you what, can't stop every boot you could not stop it and it, and what it started to do and it's exactly what happened in music too the the piracy got to the point where people were it became this weird thing where people think they could get something for free and they weren't actually supporting the people that were making the content they're like oh i can get this for free and it's kind of like what every kid does anyways they always want to you know, like it's just human nature. You want stuff for free. Yeah. I don't like it is what it is. Like, so I get it, but it also killed it. Like really took the numbers down at that point. I had a gnarly crew and everyone on that crew was making good money. A bunch of us had families and you know, like these guys, they need to get their wage, but they also want to see that there's a room for to make more money in the future. It's like any job, you know what I mean? And I'm looking at sales go down, and I'm just like, dude, everyone's like, kind of like trying to get more. And I'm like, look at the numbers, guys. It's not happening. It's, yeah, people want to raise every year, right? Yeah, well, of course you do. And yeah. they do great work, so why wouldn't you, right? And I would want to give it to them if I had yeah. it. And we did for years. But anyway, so that was one of it. One of the things it was just it was a I could see the, the that it was going downhill. I could also see that you know we're coming into a little recession year, and it wasn't two thousand eight a recession. Yeah, it was bad, and the stock I, market crashed. And so I could was tell like the, the I, first, I was just another I, housing thing too. And I had a, an inclination that if that happened, that the, we won't get the sponsorship. And I'm looking at okay, if we don't have this sponsorship, which we were getting a lot of at that point, that we wouldn't even be able to make the movie. It would be a losing proposition, you know? And so I was like, okay, that's a bad one. Um, my wife and I had our kid, uh, Taryn, and she was born. And I was like, I don't want to be a dad who's gone for like six months out of the year mm -hmm. or more. I want to raise my kid. Like I, I was older at the time, you know? And I was like, it's like, I'm going to raise a super sick kid. So, you need to put I, a lot into that. I want to put a lot into it. I don't want to be on the road all the time. Like, so it was like, oh, okay. I have all these kind of things that are kind of factoring in. And then I got a call from JP and JP's like, Hey, uh, just thought you might want to know this. Some of the guys, some of the guys who are working for me, I don't want to ruin anyone. They, a lot of people to get work over the years, but we're basically conspiring to a take a bunch of the crew make their own different film company and take a bunch of the dudes and also go after the same sponsors and basically pit me. You know what I mean? And I was like, Oh, well that makes it easy. Wow. You know what I mean? F you. And then, you know what I mean? Like this is over with, and you know, like, so it kind of was, it was kind of harsh. That? What it, was that crew? People. Oh, it, that was people. Was people. And also the, uh, it was, you know, the last one was Double Decade, but before that, I think it was Picture This. Um, mm. but anyways, but at that point, I was just like, this isn't totally not worth it. Like, I have all these other things I want to do. I'm a filmmaker. I've been stuck in this one little genre forever, and I want to do other things. You know what I mean? I'm like, I've gotten my skills up to a certain level. I could take it to freelance and try different things. Like, already, like, I was that wasn't a bummer for me. It yeah. was a bummer that it ended like that. And then I called those guys out and I was like, and then, you know, it didn't really work out for them. No one was really going to do it. The sponsors were like, what, you know, but they were getting paid by me at that point. And I was like, 
guess what? It's over. And they're like, what do you mean? Let's just make another film. I'm not working with you guys ever again. Yeah. That's, it's done. Like, done. we are done. Don't call me. We're not friends type of thing. And so that's kind of like, and then I, you know, like I was, I've been super lucky my whole life. Everything is just kind of like, here's another, like this door closed, another one opens. And yeah, it probably happened for a reason, right? You're probably ready for yeah. that and you needed to evolve past that. And, and immediately like, yeah. boom, get a call from Gunny. Hey, uh, Ken Block's coming up to North Star and he's doing some like driving on snow and like it's crew from San Diego's coming up and they're asking if there's someone who can shoot on. And I'm like, oh yeah. So I, you know, then I went and started working with this group called Mad Media from San Diego and we did a lot of stuff, worked on some Gymkhana's and some crazy off-road stuff with those guys. And I just went into like a full different genre and, and started filming different things and, more commercial stuff and and I opened doors into all different avenues of of stuff and so it was super fun and all those trips were short it's like oh let's go make this sick video we'll be gone for a week come back home help raise this kid and make an insane human so, yeah and not be gone for 6 months and so, come home and be like hey I'm here this is weird I got to leave again so I, it totally worked that I love the way life worked out in that yeah. way for you and I happen to have a guest question from your wife, Catherine, who I will say is a boss. And uh, here it is. Hello, Bombhole Studio. This is Catherine McIntyre, Mike's wife. Hey, Mike, I hope you're hanging in there. I know that uh, being in the hot seat is probably not your favorite place to be. She knows me. So my question isn't really snowboard related, but I think it really speaks to who you are and to your character. Over the years, you have given our daughter some pretty unique advice could you share with the studio some of your favorites yeah i mean that like i just was saying that's a good question good segue like i want to raise a good kid that knows what's up and can make change and do cool shit for the world so i mean one of the first things i taught my daughter was no one's looking out for you nobody you see all this stuff that you can buy all these things that are around you None of those people are looking out for you. Most people are only looking out for themselves. The food you can buy, like, is that, is, is that even something that's food? No, it's something to make money. It's like engineered, weird crap, basically, that it will kill you. It's not even like, and, and it's for sale, and people think it's good. Like, like, you need to analyze what is going on. You need to pay attention what's happening in all around you, all aspects of life, and realize that, yeah, you're we're pretty much like as humans these days like we're to, we're like little whatever like give us your money yeah minions and these like global super companies are just they'll do whatever for money and destroy everything in sight and so be aware of that and support the people that are not doing that as much as you can and just pay attention to what's going on like don't just accept things Never accept when someone says something. Just be like, really? Let me think about that for a second. You know, like put like critical thinking is a big deal. So, and so she does that really good. Crazy, talented, super, super smart, like insane musician. Like probably all that listening to all that crazy stuff in my head over the years. And I got into her DNA like psycho. She's going to be like probably pretty big. 
big into horseback riding. Really good snowboarder. Really good edge control. But she just got into other stuff. Like she can rip on a board, but never really got into the whole freestyle thing. Just got into horseback riding and super good competitors. Wins all this crazy events all the time. So she went in her own path, you know. But that's totally cool. Go go where you go, you know. Like we just wanted to open doors. That was our whole thing. Like here's all these doors. What do you want to do? Like surf. Here's a surf door. Here's a snowboard door. Here's a music door. Here's whatever. And then just see where they go, you know. And, and her aunt uh, Gunny's wife Jen opened the horse store, which I was like, seriously, like we live four blocks from the beach. And we're doing horse things. <laughs> <laughs> That's an expensive endeavor right there, too. Huh? Exactly, dude. But Horses it, aren't cheap. But it's cool. Like that there's a lot of love there and there's a lot to be learned from from all that, you know. And you gotta take care of that horse twenty four seven. There's a lot to a lot of life lessons there. So. Good parenting lessons yeah. and you know, let them do what they want. And and one thing I just wanna lean into that you were just talking about. So you're talking about food and things like that, and you're sixty years old. I don't know if you want to t- say that publicly. Or really I'm, I don't care. Yeah, so you, you're, you, you seem like you are. You're still surfing. You're still riding. You're still ma- doing cool shit. You're, you're, you seem to be have a lot of vitality for somebody your age. Uh, what is the key to that? Key to to being vital and to being like living a good life. It doesn't matter what age you are, and that's this is a big deal. Like we are just. I mean, it's simple stuff. Like you have to use your head. You have to be, that's why I teach my daughter critical thinking. Like we are a bunch of cells. That's all we like. We're composed of cells. Our cells need other types of cells to function at their best. What's the, what are we engineered to eat? Like what's our body meant to eat? It's meant to eat foods that come out of the earth as unprocessed as possible in a wide variety of things. Duh. Like (laughs) you go to the supermarket and like there is a section that is organic fruits and vegetables. That's about all there is in there that you're actually engineered to eat. You know, like we we're omnivores. Sure. The meat, as long as it's raised properly is good as well. I'm not a, a big meat eater. I eat fish, but yeah, I mean, it's pretty simple stuff. Like if it's processed, if it's like in a, uh, it's just not food. Sorry. And your body doesn't know what to do with it. And it's not surprising that there's so many people that are really sick and obese and just not in good shape. And if you give your body what it needs, then it works properly and you have energy. Like I wake up in the morning and I'm like, boom, let's go. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so I've been on that program for a long time. Yeah. How long have you been treating your body like that? Well, let's say in high school, I was growing wheatgrass in my car in the backseat window and wow go back into the you know lunchtime go clip off some wheatgrass juice have a little chew dude like so were you just raised then no i just i kind of i i was it was in marin county and there's a lot of hippies around there and and like some kids were hippied out and like we were kind of like-minded we're like oh this 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 is awesome let's do this so like my parents were on a different program altogether. I'm like, um, can I go to the health food store? I'm going to buy some of this and this and that and make my own stuff. They're just like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Do, do your thing. Yeah. But yeah. I saw an interview with a guy who was 110 years old. This is on Instagram. But 110. 110. He said, what's the key? How are you so, he said, it's one thing, simple, diet. Yeah. They eat clean. 
Yeah. And it doesn't work out for everyone. Like you, you know, there's Is he Japanese. There's the people that are, uh, 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 no, I think he's American. Yeah. A lot of people, they do have issues, even if they eat super good. And that's, that's environmental. Like it could just be around you in and your the hereditary environment. Too. Yeah. So, and the hereditary. So like a lot of people, when they, if I say that to someone, if I see someone, they're like, you know, if I want to give them some advice and help them out and, then they're like, well, my grandfather or like my brother-in-law or whatever, this person ate perfect and they died of cancer. Yeah. This, Yeah, well, maybe they did. But it's in the, the statistically, yeah, you eat good. Like it's simple stuff. Like use your, use your brain. 100%. Like, it's not going to make it worse. That's for sure. No, and you're <laughs> going to feel a lot better. Yeah. I guess the other way to look at it is you can pay more. And that's what everyone oh, else says. I love says. this analogy. Yeah. Everyone always says, oh, it costs so much more to eat organic or to buy like all this clean food. Yeah. It costs a little bit more here, but then guess what? You're healthy pretty much your whole life. You feel awesome like a sports car or you go the other way and you're like, buy stuff that's cheaper. And guess what? You're going to the doctor. You're sick. Mm -hmm. You feel like shit all the time. Like what kind of life is that? It totally doesn't even equate. Yeah. Good logic. Yeah. Healthy food is cheaper than hospital bills. Yeah. That's a great great freaking analogy. It's hard to have discipline, though, man. It's like, that's the thing. I get on these kicks. I feel great. And then next thing I know, boom, pull over. Let's hit some garbage food, you know? Like, but so I, I got a lot of respect for you taking that because I, I don't have no to. garbage food. I try not to. Yeah. I mean, the, but the thing about it is you don't have that much of a choice because it's engineered like, it's like, all around you. I mean, it that food is engineered. Like they're doing like taste tests and all this crazy stuff, and just tweaking that stuff so that it it tastes Stopamine. so good. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's now, like I have a question for you. I did a one month diet where I did like I was on the super low carb, no sugar. I was no sugar. It was a no sugar deal. And first two weeks, it was so hard. And then in that last two weeks, it felt like I was like, oh, this is, I could do this is easy. Do you notice that, like, after doing it for a long time, it just like feels way easier? Yeah, I mean, it's not, and sugar is not, sugar occurs naturally in all the fruits and stuff. Like, it's not bad to have that in your diet at all. You know, it's just processed. Yeah, processed sugar, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what the problem is. Mm-hmm. It's all the stuff, once you process it, there's no nutrition in it. It's, it's basically filler. Yeah. I hate filler in movies. I hate filler in food. Like, it just doesn't work out. Let's get to the bangers. We, we had we had JP on the show, and we asked him, worst trend in snowboarding is it filler? <laughs> Such a good answer. That's true. All right, buds. What's it time for? It's my favorite time of the episode. Pub beer time. Crispy crack. <sighs> These hot days, man. <laughs> Woof. Nothing like a pub beer. If you're thinking about getting absolutely cross-eyed and... Uh, Losing your mind and drinking 78 beers or just casually having one? What are you going to choose, bud? Yeah, just one, you know? Maybe 70, maybe one. I'm going to choose pub beer every time. It's cheap, fun, delicious, and, man, on a hot day, nothing beats it. Remember to do that responsibly. Okay, here we go. Welcome to the pub beer crap shoot. I roll them dice. We'll tell you what you got to do. Seven. Oh, seven. We get this one a lot. That's a goon gear Who's logo. your favorite person to party with? Me? Yeah. Party with. You're all me? 
<laughs> well, since I don't really party too much anymore. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways to party, you know? Yeah. I mean, my wife, of course. Yeah, great answer. Yeah, Catherine McIntyre. That's what's up. Perfect Love answer. that. Let's give her an air horn. And I, I'm curious about this because, you know, you guys seem like a team. Whereas, you know, when I did Real Snow Snuff stuff, I remember, you know, she was the one I was emailing with and doing all the production stuff on the back end, and then you're doing the show. Uh, it seems like you guys have a great team thing going on and and how does all that work works really good like she's super good at producing she's really 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 nice person and a lot of producers are not so that so like that's a whole different like people get tripped out by that they're like what is going on like this producer is being so nice to me they're like not working me and chiseling me on rates and like making me take all these lame airplane flights, actually letting me do my own flights and choose all this stuff. And like that, that is kind of rare. Like most, I mean, a producer job, you're trying to bring this thing in for a certain amount of money. Right. So most producers are pretty cutthroat about that. That's their job. I respect it. You know, they're trying to do it. And if they can't do that, they don't have a job in the future and we don't have the shoot because they're not doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. She pushes it to the limit of using all the money to make it as enjoyable for everyone as possible. And so, yeah, it totally works. People love it. People love to work with her. And then that makes my job easier because people show up and they're happy. You know what I mean? All the crew's happy. They're getting their rate. Everyone's happy that's involved with it. And that's the kind of crew I want to be around. And how do you guys manage the like business life relationship? Uh, well, they're all at this point, they're, they're not super long projects for the most part. So it's pretty easy. We lock in on a, on a project. It's like a dog on a pork chop, get in there, tear it up, (laughs) get it done (laughs) out the door. So it's, it's intense and then it's over, you know, but we, 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 you know, sometimes as I'm can be known to be somewhat harsh and I'm the director guy. So I can be a little bit lame and perceive that way, you know, like, like, you know, she set something up. I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. That's not the way it's going to go down. She's like, I just spent all this time doing that. I'm like, and I feel bad. Cause you know what I mean? Like, and, but you know, you know, we work it out always. We're, we're lifers. Mm-hmm. You're a Love team. It. Yeah. So go just out of curiosity too. Cause you had, you know, full-time production work. Now you do a little bit more uh, intermittent Things here, things there, freelance. I like that dog in a pork shop analogy. Do you think that's a that's a good way of life of like diving into a project that's a little bit shorter, handling business, and then having free time? I I enjoy it. I got that term from Kearns, by the way, dog in a pork shop. <laughs> he's he's always got some good funny things to say. But um yeah, I mean I'm looking forward actually I've got a couple other bigger projects in the works we've been trying to sell for a long time that are long form and They've gotten really close this last year. We're still fingers crossed we're going to get it going, but I've been working on this Daredevil project. It's a motorcycle jumping thing from, like, the beginning guys before Evil all the way through to, like, the biggest jumps ever done that no one's ever even seen. Like, So we've been working on that off and on for maybe, like, 10 or 12 years at this point, and it's like a feature doc or a series. So we've been trying to pitch it as a series, to like Netflix and all these people. Um, and that has been close, but I think we're going to have to go into feature doc mode 
And that's, that'll be fun because that's like a long form, something that I haven't done documentary thing. And it's, it's amazing. Like the level of, of feats that are accomplished, you know, there's, that's a very dangerous game. There's been a lot of tragedy in that sport. And so it has all, all, all of it, you know, the huge glory, the tragedy, lost a lot of friends and, that movie, it's got to come out. And then, you know, like I started a Peter Line documentary. This is super weird. Like I started a Peter Line documentary right when we stopped doing the annual annual movie. Peter was like, I kind of want to kickstart on my career. Can we do a documentary? Like he was still with form when it went to Burton and all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, I want to do d- different things, documentary stuff. So me and Ross, Steffi, we went around. I bought some uh, really good audio equipment some cool lights and we went around and we interviewed probably like 40 or 50 people over the course of a year or so. And we started making this thing and, and uh, we got to the point where I was like cutting it and I was like, you know, it doesn't really have that much of an arc. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's kind of like Peter's a trip. Of course he's a, <laughs> he's weird. He's a, a genius. Yeah. Right. But it, it didn't like do much. You know what I mean? It's not like, where's his big downfall? Where's it? Where does he rise from the ashes type of thing? He never had a downfall. huh? He kind of did when, when Burton ended, but that was before that happened. Right. So, so anyways, it was a, it was, it's just kind of slowly went into the back burner. Right. And then all of a sudden we're doing forum and I'm like, wait a minute. What about all that old footage? And we start pulling stuff up and there's like, all these insane interviews of people like, you know, from 2007. So like they're dated, but no one's seen it. And it's like, it's a really cool project that I think it's going to be like, probably not the Peter line thing, but it'll be more like a form thing. But we have all this like a plus 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 stuff for that. So that's, I'd like, I'd that, like to see that. Yeah, That sounds cool. It's really cool. Actually. I would trip out. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's weird how things happen for a reason. Yeah. You know what I mean? And we had a couple of points we were like, I'm like, Peter, if you want to hire an editor, that's great. And we got <laughs> petted on the line. We're like, okay, there's no money in this pet. Like, if you do it, <laughs> if you do we it, got a though, project for you. you'll get a percentage. Yeah, there you go. And, you know, we all saw where the, the video sales were at that point. And he's like, eh, no. Like, so, Pete, do you want to fund it? Like, you know what I mean? Like, he's like, so it gets kind of got sidebarred, but yeah. it's coming. It's coming. That's a, something that's percolating up. Like, that's cool. Yeah. All right. It's that time of the show, buds. Hot takes. Let's go hot takes on them. So uh, first thing we always ask is the GOAT, you know, greatest of all time, or we used to use Michael Jordan of snowboarding, both male and female. Who you to got? you. To you. Who is it to you? No way. <laughs> There's no way. I'm not going down that road. I'm sorry. Like... He's Louis Vito in this. He's even taking a harder line than Louis Vito. You know, like, okay. (laughs) Boom. I've been doing. It's just a firm no. I've been doing this for since. I've been filming snowboarding since 80, like late 80s, early 90s, all the way till I was at Detour and watching the gnarliest pipe riders ever go off. And, you know, like the stuff out at Heavy Metal this year was just like totally mind melting. Like I've seen so much crazy stuff and there's been so many amazing athletes that I've worked with. That's I'm just definitely There's not, not one though out of all those years that just was like, man, that guy. 
Nope. I mean, there's uh, there's a tons of there's them. There's thirty of them. That's the problem. Like you can't just say like for me personally how I got into it. Who probably did the most for me and like got me into where I'm at? It was Noah Selaznick. Great answer. Know? Great answer. It's a great yeah. answer. It's a totally. We, yeah. we love that answer. We love yeah. that answer. But because to you, he's the guy that got you in and brought you into this thing. And yeah, but like I, like I'm saying, he was a super high level. But look at all these other people. Like yeah, you know what I mean. Like it's. But those guys didn't bring you in like he did. You know. Yeah. So that, that anyways. Right. Uh, well, we got another loaded one for you then. Most underrated. Of all time. Ron Rogers. I agree with that one. Great answer. Okay. Uh, handrails or powder? I'm a handrail aficionado. Love I, that answer. Yeah. I mean, I love powder too, but there's something about being in the streets. It's just, it's it's something awesome. It's pretty exciting out there in those streets. It's those so cold cool. streets. <laughs> I love it. It, uh, it can't get be beat, really. I love that answer. Uh, best style. That's another one that's like ridiculously hard to answer. Like that's so hard to answer. Like I'll just throw a couple names out there. There you go. A couple names. Let's go. Jamie Lynn. Like, come on. Yep. Like, what do you want out of snowboarding? You want to see someone do a method? Look at that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. JP Walker. Jeremy Jones. You know, like psycho style. Um, I don't know. Like, there's so many people that Danny Davis, like, yeah. Forget about it. Like Great answers. I mean, that the list that list is. I could sit here and just go off for like. Well, those are acceptable. Let's keep it going. Uh, So, best board graphic. I mean, I'm partial to to Peter's rainbow, the pink rainbow Mm. board, just because it was, you know, it's just so. Like, I'm gonna do whatever the hell I want. I don't really care what anyone thinks at all, and everyone's gonna hate it. And like, yeah. I'm doing like it was so like that is as punk rock as it gets to me like in that time frame too you know what I mean like just like so like and it's funny like his whole thing like thinking that it would work it totally didn't work like people totally liked it and like all these people that were like tough guys liked it yeah that is at the time at the time that was so out of place and incredible it was just amazing statement uh, if you could see one musical artist dead or alive, who would it be? Jimi Hendrix. Woo! If you could go heliboarding with three people in the world, who would you go with just for fun? Well, I, I mean, this one's a personal one because these are people that I would, like, if you're going heliboarding, this is my take on backcountry in general. And this is what our strategy was, was to always surround yourself with people that are going to, like help you live you know what i mean i don't really care about the whole like seth hewitt jeremy jones jp walker like i would do with those guys because if something happened to me or anyone else i would have 100 percent confidence that those people would be able to handle the situation and handle it as best as possible and that's the most important thing when you're doing that sort of stuff i love that answer Okay, last question. Worst trend. What do you got? The worst trend is nine by sixteen filmmaking that people think is cool. That is the most hideous thing ever to happen to sports filmmaking. Love that. Solid. You know, this might be our best hot takes <laughs> yeah, ever, but killed it. Well, I want to say um, 
I, I'm excited for what's coming up. I think forums going to be a great That's thing for snowboarding. Good, good to know that it's run by snowboarders. We've too, been hyping people. up forum on this show ever since we started too. It's probably True. the most talked about brand on this show. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's nostalgia, the nostalgia of it yeah. alone. But it's it's also good to know it's not just nostalgia. You guys are doing cool stuff in the future. And uh, are the boards good? The yeah, dude, the boards are sick. I mean, what boards do you ride? I ride the Capitol board. It's mothership. Huh? Well, uh, the mothership is going to make our boards. I mean, in my opinion, they make some really good. They make boards, good boards. So. They make, they make really good boards, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure they they're not doing boards for anyone else. And that's just like such a gift of those guys to help oh, wow. us out. That is a gift. Like that is a gift, and like thank you, Blue, and everyone at the mothership for seeing that we want to bring something into snowboarding that's cool, and we want to like get some soul back into it and supporting us. And I think that's amazing. Yeah, and I got other people would have said no, you know? Yeah, for sure. And yeah. the, we, we went up to hood just to test out some of the boards and got a chance to hang out with the Capita team a little bit. And just what an incredible group of kids. And like, it's just awesome, dude. Like just, I just feel so fortunate that they, Helping us out. That's so cool. I heard Peter was destroying it up there too. <laughs> he was Looking destroying himself. Destroying himself. <laughs> he was destroying himself, but really going for it is what I heard and looking really good. You know, Peter always looks good on a snowboard. Yeah, that's what you it know is. what I mean. He looks but, good in the air. But I had I'd have a little talk with Mike Pete. Slow down. If we're gonna do this, <laughs> you need to go to the gym because it looks like you're you need to get a little bit stronger if you're gonna be hitting the jumps again and put those cigarettes down. But like we need to get you back in top shape because you you know like if you want to maintain and rip around with all the kids that we want to try and get going yeah i, I need you to be in a little bit better how did you take here. that <laughs> i mean he didn't like it <laughs> 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 but by the same token he's like yeah yeah he knows i mean if you're gonna be riding at that level that he wants to i i don't and he does want to like be like a team rider and yeah but he wants to be able to show up and, and hit the jump and be peter line you know yeah and he can be that yeah. he's not that old and he didn't get that broken in snowboarding he, no he got off with a knee injury that's about it so he had an amazing career yeah so he can come back and you know and like the thing about like it's crazy to me is like watching jeremy ride um with the his you know his injury and and know like the level of pain that he's in, and he's like no other. It is just, it is so mind-boggling to me. I can't even like comprehend it. It trips me out every time I see him ride, and then I see him hobbling around mm -hmm. after. I'm just like, why, dude? Like, how can you do it? Like, but he just has to. And then the next day, he's right back out there. Yeah, you know, it's just... it's so incredible. Like, I don't know if people understand how focused he is. And how, like, he's just held together. Like, and he just keeps charging. Like, it's just so mental. Him and, and like, that mentality, though, like, if you, then you look over at JP, who's actually still out there filming. And yeah. you're like, if Jeremy wasn't hurt, he would be right there with JP actually getting legit shots. And they're, like, in their late 40s or whatever. Like, what's happening? It's like the Kelly Slaters of JP of, of or Jeremy came on a trip with us and got legit shots. shots. I mean... As a These broken guys are man, incredible! Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah, it's totally crazy. They're setting new standards for the sport. Yeah, it's totally nuts. Love to see it. Love to see that. It's pure passion too. When you, if you have that many rods in your leg and you can barely walk like Jeremy, and you're still getting after it, it's yeah. pure passion. Well, I want to say, Dogger, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate you coming and sharing your story with uh, us and our listeners. 
Yeah, I would also like to say thank you for having me. I know it's been kind of a you guys have hit me up before to come in here, and I've been I don't like getting in front of the camera, and it's not my cup of tea. So I'm glad that I did though. I also want to throw out some thanks. I mean, all the people that I mean, I if I sat here and thanked everyone, we were going to be here for another hour. But all the people that worked on the films, all my filmmakers, all the people that were in the films, every writer, all the musicians, all the people behind the scenes, Lori Vincent, and everyone who just put so much effort into making all those films what they were. They wouldn't happen without all you people. And then also all the people that presented opportunities, sponsored the films, and just gave us the opportunity to do what we wanted to do and to shape it the way we wanted. It wouldn't happen without everybody, so thank you all. Well, thank you for inspiring generations of kids like me to uh, move west and pursue snowboarding. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> I always, I always, I'm like, I don't really know what to say when people say that, but I'm like, I'm stoked that people like it. That was the whole point of it. Yeah, <laughs> the whole point of putting all that effort into it is to get people stoked to snowboard and to to be to get that feeling and want to do it and be part of it. I mean, so. the sport needs it without it. There'd be way less snowboarders. So thanks yeah. for Thank not you. making snowboarding corny. Like yeah. it could be like Keeping some other legit, sports. Right. And same deal with tech, technical difficulties is the one that made me sink my teeth into it. So it's so funny that it's yeah. all full circle. We're sitting here. Like the reason why we love this is because you know, your videos and, and thanks for making snowboarding look cool to the bigger population and, and not, um, you know, making us look good and, and, everything you've done for the sport and, and action sports as a whole. So thank you, dog. We really appreciate you. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. And <laughs> thank you guys for having me on and also for doing something cool for the sport as well. Like all I hear about everywhere I go is bomb hole, bomb hole, bomb hole. So <laughs> you guys are doing something right. Like literally that's all I hear. Like that's when cool. people talk about snowboarding, it's bomb hole. Love that. Well, yeah. thanks for coming and doing, uh, from what I hear, your first podcast, Dogger. So, <laughs> yeah. And I want to say, it might be the first and the last. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Woo. Love it. Well, you killed it. It's been a great convo. And I want to say thank you so much to our listeners and everybody that tunes in. You guys kick ass. Uh, we really appreciate you. And we got another episode coming at you next week. Thanks, guys. All right, the Dogger episode's done. We did it. Before we get out of here, a couple things. Uh, first things first, our new fall line just dropped. If you're interested in picking up some merch, we got a whole new line. We got new hoodies, new t-shirts, new long sleeve that's a hitter. Our graphic designer, Drake, has been killing it. We've been trying to up our quality, too. We're trying to get some better garments going. Um, it comes in a nice little protective sleeve. It's a whole, it's a whole uh, experience. When you get some b-hole merch and you're supporting the podcast so we really appreciate you guys we also just brought back international shipping so if you live outside the country and want to get some merch that's back uh what else patreon link is available on our site bombhole.com if you want to support the show that's huge for us and lastly if you're listening to this on spotify or apple podcasts and you're not subscribed you you're kind of blown it you're going to be missing the episodes, and that's important because we're dropping our new live show. Uh, All Banged Up, I think it's episode eight, I believe drops on Monday, the Monday after the Dogger episode, and we have guest Jill Perkins on there. Uh, we get in the booth. We're idiots. We're going to be doing one a month 
all winter long, all banged up live. We talk about snowboard clips. We have fun in the booth. And we hope you guys enjoy that show. And you can tune in live and leave comments and be interactive. We're actually going to be taking calls, which is kind of exciting. So you guys can call in. So any rate, that does it for pretty much all of our house cleaning items. I guess lastly, if you wanted to write a review on the podcast, uh, if you listen to it on Apple Podcasts, you can scroll down and write a review. That is huge for us in the podcasting game. We'd really appreciate that. But... All in all, we just appreciate you guys listening. Hope you have a great rest of your week, and we'll have another episode coming at you. See you guys soon.